It's Tom Bilyeu here. And if you are addicted to the relentless pursuit of greatness, then I've got something special for you guys. The Motivation Daily Podcast by Motiversity. It's your daily fix of motivation, inspiration, and wisdom featuring the best speeches and speakers on the planet. We cover it all. Life, business, relationships, discipline, purpose, mental health, sports, studying, focus, you name it. With exclusive speeches from heavy hitters like Coach Payne, Billy Allsbrooks, Marcus Taylor, Dr. Jessica Houston, Walter Bond, and more. If you're ready to take control, level up, or just crush your day, then Motivation Daily Podcast is your secret weapon. Search for the Motivation Daily Podcast and follow wherever you listen to amazing podcasts. In prison, uh, I had a fight with two of my homies in prison. Um, we fight for like four hours. Jesus. Back to back. I'm just fighting one after another one. Like we just fighting. Um, and I go to solitary confinement. And at this time, all these parish prisoners considered like one of the worst parish prisons in the United States of America, right? And I go to the cell and I meet this white guy. That was the turning point of my life. Mm. I get in the cell with him and I'm frustrated. Like I'm kind of bust up. Um, and he sees me and I guess he's in awe of the idea of so many black people are in this position. Mm. He says something to me. He says, man, y'all playing the wrong game. And so in my mind, like I'm fresh. I'm like, man, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> like, bro, like don't make me whoop your ass in here right now. Like, he's like, no, no, no. He's like, listen, bro, I don't mean no harm, no disrespect, but y'all like, why? So I guess he's like perplexed by this mm. whole dynamic of all of these black men in here. And I'm like, man, what are you talking about, man? Like, this, 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 this ain't no game. Like, this, this is real. And so he says something. He said, that's the problem. Like, Y'all don't even know it's a game. Fuck. Mm. And so when he tells me that, I'm like, like, it's something about when you're mad and you're in the moment. But like something, when it makes sense, it hits you like a ton of bricks. So I'm like, What? He was like, man, listen, man, there's a game that's being played and you're playing a game that you can't win. For a minute, I just start thinking about the people who I knew that was in the streets. Everybody lost. Everybody suffered the same fate. There was nobody in the street that I knew at 16 at one. Everybody I knew had either been to prison, been shot, got killed, their father, like everybody suffered the same fate. So my rebuttal to him is this. Well, if it's such of a game, you know the rules, why are you in here with me? It's a good question. Right? He says, I'm in here, $2.8 million embezzlement. I paid 800000 restitution. I kept $2 million. Have you ever seen $2 million? Mm. I'm like, man, get the fuck out of here. You fucking lying. So one thing about prison and, in, and jail, you can show your paperwork. Like, you can lie all you want, but your paperwork tells me. Mm. So I said, let me see your paperwork then. So in, in New Orleans, I had a red band. So a red band means attempt murder on robbery, kidnapping, carjacking, violent offense. He has on a red and white band at the time. The red and white band means you're in federal custody. Mm. And it's crazy because in prison or in jail, like if you get a federal band, it's like a hierarchy. <laughs> it's like, you know something that we don't know, you next level, right? right. So um, he showed me his paperwork and it's right there in black and white. And immediately he got my attention. Because the red and white man makes me respect you a different level at 16. But then when mm. I see it in your paperwork, I had never seen $2.8 million written down nowhere. Right. 
Right. So that changes my idea. Like, damn. So tell me, how do I do what you do? <laughs> <laughs> so how do I do that? And he was like, nah, it's not even about that. So he tells me these the first three things was he said, listen, man, wealthy people do three things, man. They stop trading time for money. They make their money work for them and they give as much value to people as they can. I want to stop you there for a second. I I know where you're going with this. We're going to go there. But one thing I love about your fucking story, dude, you don't say one thing that white people do is one thing that wealthy Wealthy people, people. getting people to see that Mm -hmm. to me, that's the game Mm -hmm. is recognizing that this isn't, it doesn't break along uh, racial lines the way people think it does. Mm -hmm. And my time working in the inner city showed me this is not about that, Mm -hmm. but this is about class for sure. And getting people to understand that they can move between mm-hmm. classes, mm-hmm. Ah, that's the fucking game. Sorry, I nah, just had to can. say that's so nah, important to me. Shift. There is a shift, but in, there's the exposure part. So like just coming up in the streets, you only see the game from the lowest level. And you look at everybody else in part admiration and part like jealousy. Because you see it and you're like, damn, I'll never get there. Right? And so the only way that I think I can get that is through sports a hustling. That's it. That's the only, or rapping. Those are the only three options that you have. Mm. And so, you know, you, you make a decision on which way you want to go. Right? And so you look at it from like, damn. And so me, I'm at the time like, man, I can't rap. Damn sure I can't play sports. So hustling is what I got. You limit yourself and nobody comes along and teaches you anything different. Mm. So give those three things again that wealthy people do. So he said, wealthy people stop trading time for money. They start making their money work for them and they give value to as much value to people as they can. The caveat, I mean, you know, we got a little deeper into that. He said, the reason why you give people so much value is because if you give them so much value, they'll never leave you and they'll always be there for you. And you will never need for anything as long as you give wealth to value to people. And so I learned that as I got older, that part really didn't make sense to me at the time. But the money working for you part, and I was like, what the how do you make your money work for you? Mm. Again, all I know is how to go get money. That's all I know. So later on in that, he says wealthy people do three things. So this may, we in a cell for about 45 days. So all of his conversations, now that you said, it's never was black or white. Every conversation with him about money and transition was always wealthy people do. It was always, it wasn't white people do. It wasn't black people. It was always wealthy people do this. Right. Wealthy people do this. And I was like, damn, and now that you said that, this now makes sense to me again. So he says, wealthy people First, they get into stocks, then they start a business, and then they get real estate. So if when people ask me, how did I get into stocks? It's because I followed that rule. Mm. Like, first, let me, if you would say real estate, business, I would have did, I would have been the real estate trap. <laughs> <laughs> but he said stocks first, and I was like, damn. And so I just, my my rest of my time in prison, I wanted to be that. Mm. I wanted to be a part of that wealthy conversation. So in prison, it's easy to get. You know, I took my time. I researched the Warren Buffetts and the Peter Lynch's. And I'm not going to lie. In the beginning, that shit was like Chinese to me. Right. Right. This is a foreign language. And so what happened to me was it started reminding me of being in the streets. Everything about it. And I heard this term one time that said the real gangsters are on Wall Street. The real gangsters are in the government. And I was like, damn. And so once I started getting into the stock market, I want to fuck with that idea for a yeah, second. I, I, I'm thinking it. through this in in real time. So forgive me if I'm super nah, clumsy. Good. But this is one of the things about you that I think is so interesting. When I hear, so I'm good at making money. Mm-hmm. I'm not good at investing money. Mm-hmm. So 
when I hear you talk about stocks, you make it sound fucking edgy and cool <laughs> and makes me want to like mm-hmm. learn about it and get into it. And there is this idea of um, making something cool that I think people try to uh, wash it away. Mm-hmm. But when you think about the phrase, the real gangsters are mm-hmm. in Wall Street, It hopefully it helps people break through some idea of like, oh, well, they were born into that and that's why they have it. That isn't true. They were taught something, Mm -hmm. which they happen to be taught because they were born into it. Mm -hmm. But once you latch onto they were born into it, you think, then it's not for me. Once you realize, no, 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 it doesn't matter how or why they got taught, they got taught. Mm -hmm. And that's what allows them to move like a gangster, Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. give that word a, you know, there there is definitely some negativity and there are people in the the financial system that really are like fucking gangsters and they're fucking sinister. But if people can let go of that idea, not everybody with money is sinister Mm -hmm. and getting money doesn't make you sinister. Mm -hmm. And that's why one thing that I think is important and I know we talked about before we started rolling, you're a little bit conflicted. How much do I show my growing wealth? Mm -hmm. And I think that I normally hate when people flex. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I won't say that I never flex, but I never go out of my way to flex. Mm-hmm. But it's important for people to see that you, by living the way that you live, you don't just get to talk cool. You actually live in a mm-hmm. different way, which mm-hmm. is really fucking interesting. Anyway, so the real gangsters are on Wall Street. Yes. I yes. love that. And so and what happens is, and just let me say this right quick, the reason why people think wealthy people or people with money are sinister is because that's what you kind of taught in the hood. Like you kind of taught like the people who really have money, like they did some wicked shit to get it. Mm. They did some backstab and cut those shit to get it. And you'll never get that. Right. And so that same mentality now happens on a lower level, right? The hustling, and the dope dealing. So now you think like, yo, I got to just do sinister shit to get money. And then the people who are successful in the drug game, they're looking at the people at the top like, damn, I want to be that. But the people at the bottom will never get a taste of that. And so now we just kind of living off ambition. And so now the people who are in the middle who work in, they're like, all oh, them people with money, they all crooks. They all, because being at the bottom teaches you to envy people at the top. Right. It, it just happens. It's a, it's something that brews down there, right? It's kind of like when you cook I don't know if you had gumbo before, right? But it's kind of when you cook food, right? The base goes to the bottom. And so most people live in that bottom, never knowing how they will get up there, Mm. right? I remember, so when I was working in the inner cities, Mm -hmm. I remember having this moment where I was like, wait a second, this is not an intelligence problem. Intelligence is evenly distributed. Like Mm -hmm. in, I I remember saying to my wife, the next fucking Elon Musk is going to be found somewhere in Compton. The problem is he doesn't believe in himself. And so he's not going to do anything. And so I became obsessed with this idea that generational poverty is not about money. It's about mindset. Now, it will manifest as money, Mm -hmm. but it is that. So I remember I had one kid come to me and and I was the first person that told him, you can be successful. Like, what the fuck? Why do you not think you can be successful? It didn't even make sense to me. Mm -hmm. And he was like, well, my mom always told me that the world didn't want to see people that look like me succeed. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? I'm like, even if your mom had good intentions, that is the worst fucking advice ever because if you think you can't be successful, that will govern the way that you move, mm-hmm. right? So Kobe Bryant, people that have listened to me for a while have heard this quote a thousand mm-hmm. times, but booze don't block dunks. Mm. The, world, the world can hate you all they want, but if you're good enough, think about this. 
the best basketball players in the world were paid millions of dollars to stop Kobe Bryant from scoring, and the motherfucker scored 81 points in a single game. 81 points. When you've got five people paid millions of dollars mm-hmm. actively trying to stop you, and they can't because you've gotten that good. Mm-hmm. That, to me, is the game of money. Mm-hmm. People can not want you to succeed all they want, but if you out-invest them, mm-hmm. they can't stop you. Mm-hmm. They can't stop you. They mm-hmm. can't stop you. That's heavy. And so getting people to... Break through that. So that was the first time I realized, Mm. whoa, wait a second. We've got people thinking in a way that governs their behavior Mm -hmm. such that, and now I'm going to quote you, which I had never heard this before, but this scares the shit out of me. If you want to hide something from a black person, put it in a book. Fuck! So that's heinous Mm -hmm. in ways I can't even explain. And I'll say that it really, again, doesn't break along racial lines. It breaks along economic lines. Mm -hmm. So if people are not encouraging you to read Mm -hmm. you're not going to read it's fucking hard in the beginning Mm -hmm. it feels like you're learning chinese Mm -hmm. how do you how did you break through that so there's a few things where we can get into that so there's this economic thread that weaves itself through the hood and one of the things we do got to understand is that there has been intentionality when it comes to preventing Black culture from thriving economically. So we look at like Black Wall Street, we look at Durham, North Carolina, we look at Rosewood. Every time a affluent Black neighborhood gets in that level where like, yo, we about to do it and they set the tone for the rest of them, that get bombed, it get pillaged, it get, that happens. And so now that becomes discouraging, right? It's like, yo, like every time we try, yo, like, fuck, man, right? And so now what happens with that is, that mindsets get that mindset gets impregnated in the next generation for fear of survival, right? Like, yo, don't try to become this as a collective because they're gonna bomb this, and I don't want to see you dead. So we'll low level think. Now that is intentional. What happens is now, no one now believes that it's possible. Once you keep passing that down, you start accepting the lower level. Mm. And then there's a few of us or a few people who say, no, nah, I'm an outlier, yo. Like, I'm about to go for it. And then whatever happens, I'm with that shit. You feel me? Mm-hmm. So for me, again, one of the greatest things that happened to me was my mother telling me, like, the world is raw and you got to get this shit how you live. But I also saw my grandmother be a legal entrepreneur. So I saw it from both worlds. The greatest thing that ever happened to me was going to prison because I was able to sit down and mature in that environment. Whereas had I been in the world, I'm not saying I wouldn't still be this, but the path would have been completely different. Did you do all 10 years? I did eight years and nine months. God damn. 85% of it. And so had I still been on the street, I would have now been struggling with survival. One of the things that happens often in the culture of black people is survival mode. You never get a chance to play offense. You're always on defense. One because of mindset, because you don't see it. Again, the dope dealer and the rapper, everybody who's working is struggling. And so you never want to be that. You never want to be that. You're like, damn, like, why is everybody struggling? I need to do something different. So while I'm in prison, I, I pick up a habit of reading. That was the game changer for me. Mm-hmm. On the streets, I never had an opportunity to just sit down and read because I'm always trying to survive. In prison, there was no longer a survivor mode there. 
when we look at it from, when we break everything down, we break everything down and we look at it from a skeleton. I have a roof over my head. Mm. I have a bed. It's not the most comfortable bed. <laughs> I have a bed. I get three meals a day. Whether I like it or not, I have the, the essentials. Right. Um, I started hustling in prison. So I was working in the laundry. And so uh, your clothes don't really get clean. So I found a hustle like, yo, I wash your clothes when we do it, but it's $5 or $25 a month. So that gave me a whole nother set of money. And then I started being like a numbers dude. How Vegas have the numbers, the betting. I became a numbers guy. So I had, I used to use self-taught. my- Self-taught. That's it, self-taught. I used to get the USA Today. I used to look at this guy, Danny Sheridan. He used to put out the line. And then I would take his numbers and put those numbers on my ticket. And my ticket was called Braveheart. So now I did college football, NFL football, and laundry. I had a whole thing going. Now check this out. There's five units in prison. I had people in each unit selling tickets for me, as in distributors. So the streets was the same in there, right? And so in each unit, there's six, eight domes. So one person was spying. He had runners and everybody worked for me. And so that's how I survived. But I had time now to just sit down and read. And I would read one. My first book ever reading was Sister Soldier, Coldest Winter Ever. Changed. I was like, damn, this is dope. So I went through the reading the hood classics, and then I jumped into like, let me understand. Is Sister Soldier like the hip hop artist? Yeah, she had a book, the coldest one to ever. Shit, phenomenal book. I read it, and I was like, damn, like this shit is dope. So I went through a phase where I was reading like the hood books, and then I was like, man, I lived this shit already. No matter how many times you tell a hood story, it's still the same. Right. I've lived this shit for real. I don't keep need to read this. And so I used to get up in the mornings and watch CNBC. So my you people in prison, they love to watch the young and the wrestling. <laughs> and so I would have to get up before them to watch like Squawk Box, mm. Jim Cramer. And I'd be like, damn, these motherfuckers making all this money and they not risking their life. Something got to change for me. Like Something got to change. And so I just started listening to them every day and I started comparing it to the streets. So a good business is just like a good hustler. A good business has great product. They have great clientele. A great hustler has a great product. He has consistent clientele. A good business on the stock market has what's called a moat, a competitive edge that keeps his competitors away. A good hustler on the street is going to have that competitive edge where they be like, nah, yo, I ain't rocking with you. I'm going to just wait to trap, come back. Right? So there's the competitive edge. A good business has a good branding moat. Mean my name is good. Right. So a good hustler on the street. Yo, Trap got that blue magic. I'm good on you. Like if I can't get Trap, I'm going to just go Trap. But Trap got that blue magic. That's what I'm rocking with. Branding mode. Right. That's it. A great business on a stock market has more assets, more liquidity than debt. A good hustler on the street is if you don't learn how to fund your business, if you're operating while all you have is re-up money, you're not going to last long. So those components reminded me the same mm. in the on the stock market uh, in the world. If a company's paying tariffs, that's equivalent to a, biz, a a dude on the street going pay draft to go hustle in somebody hood. Like you can't hustle over here unless you pay me draft. <laughs> it's the same as a tariff. It's the same thing. Yeah. So once I under, once I broke the game down to a way that I can understand it, it wasn't about me just being brilliant. It was mm. like yo, how do I make the game winnable for me? People build a business. Yep. The business needs something, though. That thing mm-hmm. is capital. Yep. It needs money. Mm-hmm. So the people building the businesses in the beginning, they often don't have the capital, and mm-hmm. so they need a way to go out and get the capital. Or it's going to get 
a little bit complicated fast, but I'm going to go through Come it on, and see if people it. can hang. Let's so, go through it. All right, you're building a business. Mm-hmm. One of two things is true. You either don't have money, and so you need somebody that can help you get the things moving that you need to then generate the capital. Okay, I'm sure people have heard the phrase, it takes money to, to make, make money, money. Mm-hmm. which isn't entirely true, but certainly as you scale, that is very true. Mm-hmm. You have to pay employees and all that. Okay, so takes money to make money. So you're building a business. You need the capital. You can get somebody to give you money early on. You can make a little bit of money and reinvest it yourself. But what most people do is... Either they need that money or they've managed to get the company going. This is what happened to me at Quest. So you get the company going. You don't have to take money from other people in the beginning, but all of your money is in the company. Mm-hmm. So I was worth hundreds of millions of dollars right. and I couldn't access it. Mm. I'm driving a beat up car. Mm. And so it's like, I'm rich on paper, mm-hmm. but in actuality, not so much. Mm-hmm. Okay. So one of those two things is true. I either need money to get this thing going or all the value that I've been able to build is trapped in equity mm-hmm. in the company. So to unleash some of that value, they create shares. Mm-hmm. You're now a public company. And this mm-hmm. is what you're talking about. So, hey, you've got this, JP Morgan realizes, I'm not an entrepreneur, I'm not gonna be able to build something. But these entrepreneurs are in a tricky situation. Mm-hmm. They're maybe brilliant with business, but they have another need. Yeah. And so as they go public, which is just turning, creating shares out of your company. Yep. It's a very technical Breaking thing. Breaking it down to pieces. Exactly. Breaking it into pieces. Now you're going to sell those pieces to the public. Mm-hmm. They can then buy a piece of that entrepreneur's endeavor, mm-hmm. right? A piece of that company. And so now the entrepreneur or the business, depending on if they're selling their personal shares or if the company's selling treasury shares, mm-hmm. either the company has just gained a ton of money mm-hmm. or that individual has taken money off the table and now they've actually got real wealth, which always makes me laugh when people think that Jeff Bezos has $190 billion. Cash, His right? company <laughs> is worth that. He doesn't have that unless he sells the shares. Right. So anyway, so now it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So as an average person, I can go buy a piece of these storied companies. But what I really want people to understand, you just went and learned that. Yeah. Like you, I can't tell you how late I came to this game. You figured this out before I did. I was building businesses already. This Mm -hmm. is why I'm so fucking in awe. When I think about how far down the road I went, I learned the game of building businesses. Mm -hmm. You learned the game of buying businesses. Mm -hmm. Okay. Maybe people don't want to do the thing that I did. Mm -hmm. Some days I wonder. Mm -hmm. And you went down another road, which is available to everybody. 100%. Okay, so now the people have their little primer in how all of this game works. Right. One, how, why don't people do it? In fact, let's start there. We'll, we'll definitely talk about how to do it well. But why don't people do it? I think because America has painted this picture that it is dangerous. So think about TV. I'm going to lose my money. I'm going to lose my money. Uh, Stock market crashes. Right. And then every show that you've seen about Wall Street is about people that are crooked, Mm. that take advantage of people's money and then get rich. You know, and so people don't associate with that. Right. People feel like, you know what? I don't want to be a part of that. I don't know enough about that. Right. When investing in the stock market isn't an IQ game. It's not about it's not about being the most brilliant person in the world. Right. It's about understanding basic economics and basic economics is what we know every day. You understand this supply and demand. Right. Supply and demand says that if Michael Jordan drops a shoe, then the line is going to be wrapped around the corner. Right. But if you find a way to get that shoe, hold on to that shoe and then later on, you can now sell that shoe at a top tier price. Right. Supply and demand. 
right? If we can understand that, you understand certain parts of basic economics, right? You understand that. If Michael Jordan were to release a hundred million shoes, Mm -hmm. won't be worth much. Won't be worth. But if he releases a thousand, exactly. Now price gonna go crazy, and then over time it becomes worth even more because most people will wear the shoes, Mm -hmm. lower the value. But for anybody that holds on to them, so now you've got decreasing supply. Yep. Which creates a even if the the demand stayed steady, if the supply decreases, now you've got um, a positive dynamic. One hundred percent. And so that's and that's that's the that's the most amazing part about investing is everybody won't be able to build a billion dollar business, right? But everybody can invest in one, and that's why I love it, right? So the three the three things in my wealth pyramid is stocks, business. Real estate. I believe you should have all three, right? But you can get away with two. How are you differentiating between stocks and business? So when I say stocks, it means like me buying shares of a business. Yep. Business second is me creating a business and then real estate third. So you think so, everybody should create a business? No, 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 no. That's why I say you can get away with two out of the three. Gotcha, gotcha. You know what I'm saying? So everybody doesn't have to create a business because this is not for everybody. Mm. But you can see what we do know is as America evolves, so does business. As business evolves, there are some brilliant people that says for that business, there's a problem. For that problem, I have the solution. That's a business you would like to invest in. Right. And so if we can invest in the solutions, I always say that if we invest in the solutions, we cannot help but win. Investing in a solution. OK, making Amazon was a solution to so many things, getting us information faster, getting us books faster, getting us. It changed the game. It revolutionized how we how we got uh, packages. It, rev- it made somebody say, you know what? I could go to the store today, but I'm willing to wait one day to get this package can i just say for the young people in the crowd mm-hmm. who grew up with amazon yeah there was a time you'd have to wait four to Come six on. weeks <laughs> to get something in the mail exactly exactly that's, that's insane it's you can order something in the morning and get it you in get the, the afternoon and some places you get it the same day and so when we think about revolutionizing the game evolving that's what i love about investing right i'm think think about tesla and i'm not advocating for anyone to invest in these businesses but i'm just showing how the how the world has evolved and you can build your wealth for me 100 if you're bold enough to bet on the future if you're bold enough to bet on the future and be patient enough to let it take place you will win and you will win big that is that's without a doubt so we we see the evolution of tesla and we see what's going on with this business even if you don't agree with everything that elon does you say okay well rolls royce just dropped its first EV car for $400,000, right? They're saying they're going to be all electric by 2030. General Motors saying they're going to be all electric by 2032. Ford has dropped electric cars now. What is that telling us right now? The landscape of vehicles is changing, right? So what do I say? Okay, I want to be a part of this evolution. I want to be a part of not only the electric car revolution, but the charging stations, the batteries, right? These are the components, the supply chain that makes this whole... um, sector possible and so for me that's betting on the future and if we can understand if we can truly grasp that that your money is not doing you no justice in a bank it's not especially now right it's not doing you no justice in a bank why not well because the more they print money the more your money loses value right the more inflation goes up the more your money loses value 
So a hundred dollars spent in 2019, that same hundred dollars now takes hundred and nine dollars. Right. So your money is lost. You need that to buy, the same, to buy thing. the same thing. Right. So if you bought this mug for one hundred dollars in 2019, I'm going to slap you in the mouth if that's what you did. But yeah. <laughs> it now costs you one hundred and nine dollars. Right. You need that much more money. Mm-hmm. So we understand that. One lie we've been told is sitting our money in a bank. So that's probably should add that to the equation earlier. Right. Putting our money in a bank, thinking that the bank is the safest place to have our money. Right. That's probably the most dangerous place, because I always see a dollar that's not moving is a dollar that's losing. Right. So sitting our money in a bank is not the place to be. Right. So what would be. How the, do you make your money move? How you make your money move by making great investments or just investing. So I'll give you an example for me personally. I literally don't have but like twelve thousand dollars sitting in the bank. Mm. All of my money is in the market. Ninety percent of it is in the market. So I use what's called the VOO, which is the Vanguard Index Fund for the spot, um, S&P 500. I use that as my savings account. So every month or every week, I'm putting money in that. Well, trap. What happens when the market is going down? Well, my money wasn't making no money in the savings account anyway. Right. So I'm putting it in there. Right. And then what happens when the market rebounds? Because we won't be here forever. We won't be here forever. What happens when the market rebounds? Well, talk to people about realized losses versus unrealized losses. Okay. Because I oh, think this good. really messes that's good. That's good. That's good. So an unrealized loss is when, let's say I have $100 on something, and that goes down to $89, right? Unrealized. Meaning if I sold it today, right. I wouldn't be able to sell it for what I paid for, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it's I there. have to sell it. It's okay. So, so you, you buy something at $100, it goes down to $80. If you don't sell it, you have an unrealized loss of $20. I mean, you didn't sell it, your equity just decreased. But if you sell it, you realize that gain. You have now made that gain realistic. I mean, that loss. You've realized that loss. You've made that loss realistic. So you've now essentially lost that $20, right? That's a a realized loss. Now, realized gain is is the the exact opposite, right? So if you go up to, uh, I buy something for $100, it goes up to $150, unrealized. I have have $50 in unrealized gain. So it's there, but I didn't sell it. It's there. Realizing it is saying I've cashed out. I've cashed out on it. Think about like you talked about Jeff Bezos, right? His net worth is what one hundred and eighty something billion dollars, something like that. I, last time I checked, sixty percent of his money was in Amazon stock. Sixty percent of it. So this is why you wake up one day and you say, "Damn, Jeff lost eighteen billion dollars." Well, that's unrealized because he didn't cash out, so he didn't lose it. It's still there. Once the stock gets back up, he recoups all of that. And so that's the dope part about the market. Yes, it fluctuates. Yes, it goes ups and down. But that's also the most scariest part about the market. Because people who come from lower income, working class environments, the worst thing that can come to their mind is losing money that I bust my butt for. Mm. That's what makes the market so scary for them. And that confusion keeps them out of the market. Yeah, so this is where now people have to get into the intricacies of money. So it's probably worth belaboring the point a little bit about mm. the people don't even get to the starting line. Mm. So I forget the percentage of households of people that live paycheck to paycheck, but it's ungodly. Mm-hmm. It, it's 
astronomical. It's more 72%. than 50%. 72%. Mm-hmm. That's so ridiculous. So this is for people even making six figures. Like most people live paycheck to paycheck. 100%. If you're living paycheck to paycheck, one, you're not going to survive any difficulty financially. So if you get sick and now your hospital bills, the number of people that go broke because they're already, they have no savings and now they get sick, your car breaks down. I remember that Mm. when I was broke and your car breaks down. It's like, well, then I don't have a car. It's not like I can even choose to go get it fixed. Mm. So of course, people in that situation are not thinking, oh, I need to go put money into the stock market. I'm not saving money Mm -hmm. anyway. So that's number one, to your point about people spend money that they don't have. So whatever, a dollar four out of every dollar that they make. The only way I found where I could do it, where I could save, I had to gamify it. I had to make it fun. Mm -hmm. I had to get myself obsessed over watching the number go up so that I would get more of a dopamine rush Mm -hmm. out of looking at my, I used to use mint. Mm. I don't know if they're still around. Into it, man. A stock they dig your own. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well said. (laughs) Well said. Mm -hmm. So I would, because it connected to my bank account, every time I made a deposit into my bank account, my dashboard would automatically update. And I'm like, oh, damn. Like I've now Mm -hmm. got $500. Five hundred and twenty-seven dollars, and it was like, "Cool, is it going up? Is it going up? Is it going up?" And so, people need to find that hook, whatever that is, to mm-hmm. get excited about beginning to save money. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting. I like that you use the Vanguard mm-hmm. as the savings account. Mm-hmm. So, do you? Is your money automatically allocated? No. So I do it one because I have I found that financial discipline in myself. Mm. So this now is a is my routine. How'd you how'd you develop that? So be, growing up you realize that there's a thread that runs through just through especially poverty stricken America. Right? And it is that we have no financial structure. Right? If everyone is living paycheck to paycheck, right? So let me go back a second for a second. Reaganomics caused so much havoc to that low-income black community, right? Why? Why? So let's think about this. In 1982, the year I was born, there were Ronald Reagan took one million people off of welfare. He took another half a million people, kids, out of a free lunch, right? The, the economy went through a real recession in 82. But then in 85... Without getting into all of it, around 65 tons of cocaine pillaged lower income black America in the form of crack cocaine. 85 tons that came from Nicaragua, which then was a result of Ronald Reagan being told he could not put illegal guns in Iran. So he supported the South American Contra. Go look that up. It's an amazing story. Right. That wreaked havoc. So a lot of times in my culture, we look at slavery and we look at that and that's cool. But this generation can't identify with that. Right. They, they, it's too far. But what we can identify with is that everyone from 82 to now has been touched by the crack era. Cocaine, crack, abuse. It's separated families. And so now think about the, the mindset that came with money during that era. Right. Everything was lack. Right. You have people trying to work. You have. Functioning. 
families now broken up by drug abuse, fathers locked up, mothers now with the term crack babies, now another way to separate black women from kids. So it pillaged, crack pillaged the black community, especially in major cities, L.A., Miami, New York, pillaged them. So now the idea of money is separate. I want you to think about the mindset that you have to have as a man, as a as a friend. I grew up with this brother. I grew up with his mother. And now his mother is buying crack for me. Right. For me to sell my friend's mother crack. What type of mindset, monstrous mindset that has to have. Mm-hmm. And then that becomes the norm. Right. And send then from that era, we go to Bush where now the war on drugs is important. But how can we have a war on drugs? If we are now pushing the drugs in this community, right? And then we get to now mandatory minimums. And then we get to Clinton where we get three strikes you out. So now before we can even deal with the money mindset, we got to deal with the pillage and the breakup of the family that happened. And so now when a family is in survival mode, we can't think about money because now we're trying to, how is this next meal possible, right? Financial trauma. Financial trauma now is anchored to who we are. So for me, when I was in prison, when I got exposed to, damn, I'm playing the wrong game. I had to look at the pieces on the board. Like, am I a knight? Am I a bishop? Am I a rook? I damn sure ain't the king. So that means I'm a pawn. Pawns always get sacrificed. So if I'm always being sacrificed. How the hell can I win this game? Something got to change. And so one of the things I knew that had to change was my relationship with money. Because that's how you change what piece you are on the board. That's how you change what piece you are. And then what happens with the pawn on a chessboard is if the pawn can find a way to get to the other side of the chessboard, he then can become whatever he wants. And for me, it's the two things, the information and learning how to use money. I can become any piece on the chessboard. And so now for me, once I learned about money, once I started healing my own financial trauma, it was easy for me to now start talking to people about it, but also improving my life because now money is not the thing that dictates me. It's the vision. It's the how do I become successful for the next generations? How do I help the people that I know heal their financial trauma? We can't even talk about money. We can't talk about wealth. We can't talk about winning in this world if we don't disattach ourselves from the things that's keeping us from being successful. And that is for me, financial trauma. That is a harsh pill to swallow and just a form of that is just think about it like this why is that a hard pill to swallow well because if you think about it most people like to reflect i mean deflect right it's not my fault Mm. um you know think about the years of slavery think about this people like to deflect they never want to take full accountability for it right but healing that financial trauma saying yo check this out we talked about it earlier if you have more money under your bed and in your closet then you have in your investment account or your savings account, then that's financial trauma. If you are saying things, if you're doing things like you know you're barely making it, you know you're living check to check, but for Christmas, you go spend money you don't have to say, well, my kids can have a great Christmas. That's financial trauma because what you've now taught your kid is it's okay to spend money you don't have to have a good time and then come back later on and have to pay that or digging yourself in a deep hole. So somebody has to break that financial trauma. If not, the family, the generations that follow will all follow the same suit. And you need one outlier. You need one person that's disrupt, disruption. You need one person to do that. 
And if nobody ever does that, you can look at a whole lineage of a people, of a family, and realize, wow, nobody has never changed it. And so for me, the change was if I can become financially literate, if I can become financially conscious, if I can increase my financial fortitude, then I can not only change myself and my life, I can lead by example and change my family. And then that can have another effect the people around me, my friends, you know, so on and so forth. But it was me being able to heal that financial trauma in the beginning, man. That was important. The only one I hear talking about something that I think is actually really connected, which is values mm. and knowledge mm-hmm. to get the outcome that you want. Mm-hmm. When did you start like hearing you talk about the disruption of the family? Mm-hmm. Um, the more I look, so I think you know my background. Yeah. But so my story, I saw Big Brothering for a Kid in South Central. Yep. And I'm, I, I was just too young to understand what was happening. And so I have no idea why he's acting out, why everything is just a mess. And start getting older, start quest, thousand employees that remind me of the kid that I, and I big brother for him for eight mm. and a half years. So it was a long time. Yeah. From the time he was eight till he was 16. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Uh, and seeing then later when I was finally old enough to understand what was going on, a bunch of people that were growing up in the inner cities, it is, this is, this is the fiery debate right now. Mm. Is it culture Mm -hmm. or is it that the deck is stacked against me? Mm. And I felt like a man screaming into the void. Try you've, you've given such a cool analogy. If people play chess, so you've got the pawns. The pawns are always sacrificed. But if you get to the other side of the board, you can replace them with something else. Mm-hmm. That's the human condition. Mm-hmm. Traversing the board is knowledge. Mm-hmm. But if you learn, and no one can stop you, this is the age of free information. Thanks. If you can learn, then you really can become whatever you want. Booze yeah. don't block don'ts. So no one can stop you from doing the thing that you want to do. And so I was just like screaming and screaming and screaming. Like, no, no, no. The only thing that separates you and I are ideas. Mm-hmm. I found a better set of ideas and those ideas govern my life. It's what I call frame of reference. Mm-hmm. So if your frame of reference is poverty, and I remember saying this before the internet was like really popping off. And so there was nobody there to freak out and yell. Uh, but I was like, the day I realized, oh, poverty isn't about money. It's about mindset. Mm. I was just like, whoa. And then you encounter the first person that's like, oh, offended by that Mm -hmm. idea and i was like whoa whoa whoa! what do you mean i don't i literally didn't understand why that was offensive i'm like this means that you can set yourself free Mm -hmm. you could do whatever the fuck so getting people to understand okay there's taking it back to the family for whatever reason the predictive nature of a two-parent household is crazy Mm -hmm. if you have one the odds of you doing well are Mm -hmm. really high Mm -hmm. and if you don't have one they begin to decline Mm -hmm. Why? Well, so there is a disparity in what poverty is lack of information, lack of resources. Money is infinite. They never stop. They've never stopped printing money. The problem is getting the belief to understand that. Getting the getting the belief that you're capable of being something, nothing against rapping and entertaining, but for a lot of people that come from my culture, that's the only way out. 
It's the only way out. That's it. If you can't rap, you can't play sports, then you're probably going to sell drugs or do something illegal because 87% of crimes are behind money. Or just of a mediocre or just life. Leave and, and so nobody wants that, right? And so now we, we understand that there are better opportunities in better segments just in white America, just 100%. But what happens is that can't be the defining part. Like, I know what I said, I right, cool, but what stops me? Well, what stops me is me. What stops me is me playing the blame game all my life. What stops me is me keep saying, well, I'm black, they white. Well, that's, you're not going to go far doing that. What stops me is saying, I didn't have the opportunities they have. That's going to keep it from going there. If you can get past the bullshit and say, all right, these are real issues, but the biggest issue is the belief in myself. The biggest issue is I need to spend more time reading and researching than partying. I need to spend more time reading and researching than chasing women. I need to spend more time reading and researching than, you know, trying to go hang out, playing net, being on Netflix all day, playing a game all day. I need to spend more time developing a skill set. Okay, boom. As I evolve, as I learn how the game is being played, as I get exposure to that game, my confidence builds up. So the reason why it is more the success barrier is high in a two-parent home a healthy two-parent home. That's important. I think, though, the stats are, and I'm sure just because the sort of average to healthy-ish mm-hmm. uh, homes, it, it just overwhelms it is. The, the number. But the, the statistics, and I don't remember the exact number, but your odds of living above the poverty line, it's over 70%, over 80%, something like that if you're in a two-parent home. Structure. So... In a two-parent home, there's a form of structure. There's a hierarchy, and then there's a, you know there's a man, there's a woman, and then there's kids. So now you have an infrastructure there. When you don't have, when you don't have, this is good. When you don't have a two-parent home, not saying you can be successful, but now there are so many other different influences in your life. And I'll give myself for example, right? Like, again, I'm homeless at 16, right? But was your dad around when you were growing? I never even met my dad, never, ever in my life. Hmm. Right. So now the influences became like anybody who I saw had. So when I'm looking at the hustlers. I'm like, all right, yo, like he got the girls. He got the respect. He got the money. That's who I want to be like. And so I'm getting that from him. I'm learning. I'm getting it from the hustlers. And then boom, debt, jail. But because that's the only image I have, this is what I'm holding on to. Right. And then when I go to prison, you know, you get with the OGs and they start telling you, yo, don't do this. Don't do that. OK, cool. Now I've pivoted. Right. I've pivoted from this to this. OK, because so, this information is what's going to get me through prison. This is the information going to keep me alive. This is the information. This is how I carry myself. This is how I talk. This is how I maneuver. This is how you, you know. OK, cool. I got it. But then you come home. When I come home, I'm a 26 year old man. But guess what? I still never had a father. So I'm still missing something in my life. Still missing something. And honestly, that void didn't feel so I had my daughter. Right? But then I'm missing that void. So now I'm still influenced by anything that I feel has structure. Mm. Right? So that two-parent home, even the father may not be the best or whatever, but it's structure. You understand his position in life. You understand his position in that family structure. You understand that mother's position structure is so important it limits the mistakes 
the less mistakes you can make on a journey, the easier it is to become successful. You guys know I have a very strict diet that I stick to, except for very special occasions. And I do that so that I can bring my best every day to what I'm doing. And a big part of that strict diet is high quality animal protein and my go-to source of trustworthy meats and seafoods with no added hormones or antibiotics ever is ButcherBox. ButcherBox is a premium meat subscription service that delivers 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood all directly to your door. I cannot recommend ButcherBox enough. When you eat ButcherBox, you are giving your body the best possible building blocks to work with so you can reach your full potential. You've got to take care of yourself at a cellular level if you want to hit your peak consistently. So ButcherBox is the key. Sign up at butcherbox.com impact and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off, and that means you can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com impact and use code impact to choose your free-for-a-year offer plus get $20 off your first order. If getting your hands dirty and taking good care of your car or cars is a passion of yours, then eBay Motors is here for the ride because I'm sure you remember when you first saw the potential in that beauty. And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly with eBay Motors. Brake kits, LED headlights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. It's Tom Bilyeu here. And if you are addicted to the relentless pursuit of greatness, then I've got something special for you guys. The Motivation Daily Podcast by Motiversity. It's your daily fix of motivation, inspiration, and wisdom featuring the best speeches and speakers on the planet. We cover it all. Life, business, relationships, discipline, purpose, mental health, sports, studying, focus, you name it. With exclusive speeches from heavy hitters like Coach Payne, Billy Allsbrooks, Marcus Taylor, Dr. Jessica Houston, Walter Bond, and more. If you're ready to take control, level up, or just crush your day, then Motivation Daily Podcast is your secret weapon. Search for the Motivation Daily Podcast and follow wherever you listen to amazing podcasts. Yeah, this to me, so this is a really important idea. This is what I talk about with business and mindset. Mm -hmm. I always tell people, you have to understand how the game works. And, and what I mean by that is there's a physics to everything. Mm -hmm. So there's a physics of business. Mm -hmm. So thinking from first principles, how, how these things are actually structured. And I think the big breakthrough, and I've heard you say this, and I think this is really smart. There's a difference between the basics and the fundamentals. fundamentals yes. The basics is just one-on-one. -on -one. Yep. So here are the sort of words and phrases that you're going to need. 
The fundamentals are the physics. Mm -hmm. this, this is how it works. Mm -hmm. And once you know how something works, then you can get good at it. But mm -hmm. if you, and, and I really think the vast majority of humanity, and I don't care what class you're in, mm -hmm. the vast majority of humanity does not understand how the world works. Yep. Therefore, they are at the mercy of the world. And the people that figure out how it works can change things. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, we'd use a negative word, say manipulate, but it really isn't that. Like, this is power. Close your eyes. Imagine a world better than this one. Open your eyes, get the skills to make that world come true, and go actually make it come true. Mm -hmm. That's fucking power. Yeah. Ima imagine being able to close your eyes, imagine something, open your eyes, and actually be able to create it. That's fucking power. power. So to whether that's to change you know, people growing up in the inner cities, whether that's to create generational wealth in your own family, whether that's to learn architecture and build a bridge or a house, whatever. Like That is the point. Mm -hmm. But to be able to do that, you have to understand how things work. And like, yeah, that's, that is to me what is so powerful about you. Mm. You understand a game that a lot of people that are disenfranchised understand, the streets. Mm -hmm. And you're saying, motherfuckers, this is just physics. Let me show you the correlate <laughs> over here. It's all the same shit. It's the same. That's it. And so that's, that's important for me, the understanding the basics and the fundamentals. Like once you start understanding the fundamentals, you give yourself power because you now understand, like you said, you see how the machine works. Right. And so most people look at the machine and marvel and say either I'm like most people look at the stock market. Most 98 percent of the people who I know look at the stock market and say, yo, that's not a game I can play. I'm staying away from it. Mm. And so the way the way it's set up is the world is set up. Well, listen cool. I don't even want you to play. Just give me your money. I'll play it for you. Right. So when we look at like banks, like we understand that banks don't necessarily work in our favor, right? So banks only give us 0.05% interest on the money we have there. Well, we can get 8% just by putting our money in the index fund. So why would I just sit my money in a bank and let the bank make all the money? Because all they're going to do is invest the money in for you. So they're now operating as the plug. They operate now as the man who, I'm going to front you this. I'm going to make my money. I'm going to take the cut. I'm going to give you just enough to keep coming back. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go to the plug. Who is the plug? The stock market. Right. right? And so once I understood the fundamentals of like the most important thing too is we don't understand how money works. That's a whole different language in its own. The relationship with money in my community is you make money. Just enough to pay bills. And so once you get tired of paying bills, you say, you know what? I need to treat myself to something, right? No matter if I got to go in debt, no matter if I got, I need to treat myself to something to take this misery away. Mm. So you treat yourself to something that you can't afford at the time, right? But it makes you feel good in the moment. And so because it makes you feel good, you say, you know what? <sighs> I'm living. This is a reprieve from everyday struggle. Let me get back on the hamster wheel. And so the sacrifice now becomes hard because now you're saying, I got to work, work, work and never get that reprieve. Mm. I'm not willing to do that. Right. And so that's the mindset comes in and say, everybody around me had the same problem. No one represented the solution. So if I don't change something, I'm only going to end up like everybody else I know. Somebody has the solution somewhere. There's too many people out here living the life of their dreams that I'm watching. They know something I don't know. And the only thing that they had was access to a different type of information. Mm. So once I went and got the information, 
I now want to sing from the mountaintop. Like, yo, look at this dope thing I found. Everybody can be a part of it. And then when I showed it to people, they was like, that ain't it, bro. I'm not about to do that. And so I realized how powerful it was for me to one, become economically like powerful in my mind. Because the thing about investing, especially in stocks, is that piece of ownership of everything that I use now makes me say, well, if I own that Apple, God, I don't care about buying an Apple phone. Right. If I'm going to wear Levi's and I'm going to wear Timberlands, if I can own VFC Corp, then I own the stuff that I'm buying. I'm okay with that. Like that subtle shift in my mindset changed everything for me because now I was after just owning everything that I consumed in the beginning. That was my introduction to the game. Let me just own everything I consume and then I'll feel okay. And then one dope thing happened to me in 2010, this after I'm home from prison, right? I'm home from prison. Um, I'm back in the streets hustling because even though I have the information, I don't have the money. Right. And I'm like, well, Shit, I got to get the money. <laughs> my dog gets kicked in in 2010. They get uh, eight pounds of weed, $10,000. Yeah, by the cops. Eight, eight pounds of weed, $10,000, a 223, a 40 with extended clip and a beam, and 100 X pills. So oh. the cop tells me, you ain't learned your lesson. You ain't learned your lesson. And I was like, damn, that was some dumb shit. Right? Like, I got knowledge, I got information, but I still fell victim to the same shit that everybody around me knew. So, therefore, the knowledge that I had wasn't powerful because it wasn't applied. So, I was fortunate, God bless me. Um, I wound up getting found out guilty because it's called fruit of a poisonous tree. So, they kicked in my door, but they didn't have probable cause because they stopped me in my truck, didn't find nothing on me. So, they went to my house, kicked the door in with no search warrant. So now everything you find is null and void. That's purpose, man, because that's not supposed to happen, right? <laughs> I'm thinking for that all the time. And then, um, but that put me in a situation because now, even though it cost, it cost me $60,000 to beat that charge, I don't have no money. Mm. So now I get into the robbing game. So now I start robbing dope dealers, right? Because an OG told me that a person who works a job every day, they're not a part of this game. So they're not fair game. They, you don't mess with them. But somebody who sells a nickel bag, he fair game. Mm-hmm. A shark don't care if it's a tuna or whatever. If you're in the ocean swimming, you fair game. And so I started robbing dope dealers at the time because I was like, yo, if you want, you can't call the police. If you want to see me, see me. I'm with it. And I got in a situation where um, I was good at it. Me and my partner, God bless his soul. And then one day I almost got killed. And I go to my partner and I say, bro, I'm out. Like, that's a done deal. But when they kick my door in, Something happened. So they took my truck. They took my money. But they didn't mess with my stock account. It didn't freeze. It didn't. I said, hold up. They don't think I'm smart enough for this. Mm. In the book, 40 Laws of Power, it says, uh, never underestimate your opponent. And at that point, I realized that America underestimates us. And it's not... It's from a class issue because we've never said we're capable of doing this. It's a game we just didn't play. So I said, okay, God, what do you want me to do? All I know how to do is be a hustler. And the voice from 1999 comes in my head and says, you're just playing the wrong game. I said, oh, okay. 
start working as an iron worker, building stadiums, building power plants. It's crazy because I was making good money, $2,000 a week. That's good money to something. Like, yo, $2,000 a week? Yo, that's it. $2,000, $2,500. Like, it was amazing. I started saving and investing 70% of my money. God damn. I was living bare minimum. I was like, if I'm going to change, I got to make like the hard choices. It's hard for people to make sacrifice because you got to now go, go against and do without some of the things that gives you that momentary gratification, that simple, that... Ah, that's what keeps you alive. That's what keeps you going. Just to go on vacation one time a year to get these pair of shoes that may cost me a thousand dollars. I know I can't afford them, but I've worked so hard. I need that right. just to keep giving yeah. me something. And so I was like, okay. And once I started doing it, man, and I started showing my homies in the street that it was a game changer. It changed my life. Were you showing them the, your portfolio? No, I was showing them. Yeah. yeah. I was like, yo, look, I'm about to end. This is before Robinhood even existed. Mm. Right? So I'm on E-Trade at the time. And I'm like, bro, check this out. Man, we go get, we go to the club, bro, and we buy bottles, Hennessy. We buy Moet. We buy Louis Vuitton. We buy Fendi. Yo, we can own that. It was like, what? Like, yo, there's a stock called LVMH. Louis Vuitton Moet Hennessy, but you can get it on the market. It's LVMUY because it's in France. And it was like, what? <laughs> I'm like, man, look. I'm like, listen, bro, we upgrade our iPhones every year. We can own Apple. And so now we own Apple. We own iPod. Bro, we wear Timberlands every day. And so that was like, they got it, but it was like, I see it, but I don't know. And I was like, all right. And so then I had an idea. I said, check this out. We know the end result of being in prison. I've been shot. You've been shot. You've been shot. We've did some shooting. We've all been to jail. Who suffers? Like your kids, your moms, your girl. I said, at least what we got to do is if we're going to play the game, we got to at least reward them for us playing the game. I was like, so what we got to do is invest our money for them. So we making ten, five thousand dollars $5,000 a week. If we can do that, if we can make $20,000, but we got to give them something. If it ain't cash, we got to at least put something up for them. Because if we gone for 10 years, what they going to do? We can at least have that for them. And then I was told one of my partners, I was like, listen, bro, you need to invest the money because he was making more money than me. I said, what happens when you get knocked off? Because one thing, you know it's, your time is coming. So you mm-hmm. live the game until it's your time. You understand that. What happens when you go do a five, 10 year bed and you come home and nobody can't give you money? At least if you got it in a stock market, when you come home, you up. Mm. Your money been working for you for 10 years, five years. You ain't got to ask nobody for nothing. You can go up to the re-up, man, what you got? He was like, damn, that's smart, bro. <laughs> and so my idea was like, how do we get, how do we start changing the mindset? And some people might be like, but why would you tell them that? Because what happens is you got to start somewhere. Mm. You got to make the game winnable in the language that we can understand. And so once you learn English, now you say, you know what? I want to learn Spanish. I want to learn French. I want to learn that because now you understand the power of words. And so once they started understanding the power of the game, it was like, okay, I can play this game. And so it was powerful for me when my home is in the street, started investing in money. That was a game changer for me. When my home is in the street who didn't finish school, who didn't go to college, started telling me, man, I bought some Apple, bro. I bought some Microsoft, bro. I bought some Nike, bro, because I'm about to get them new J's. So I'm about like, that was powerful for me. Yeah. We made the game winnable. Dude, you have a phrase, Wall Street looks like us now. Wall Street looks like us now. 
there's another phrase you say, but you should like put that same like fucking stamp on mm-hmm. it is I own that. I own that. Because you talk about stocks in a way that sounds so rad <laughs> where it's like you refer to yourself as an owner of the companies. Yes. And, and the thing is, it actually is true. Like mm-hmm. you're not playing a linguistic game. It is true. Mm-hmm. But people don't think about it like that. But mm-hmm. it's so much more powerful than having a cool pair of kicks is to say I own the mm-hmm. company that makes those kicks mm-hmm. or I own the company that makes that phone or, you know, Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple works for me. I'm a Smart shareholder, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's really, really powerful. Mm-hmm. Explain that basic idea of ownership for people that might not quite put it together that stocks really are owning that company. Mm-hmm. So I, I actually got that term from Warren Buffett um, in one of his meetings. I want to say it was a 1995 shareholder meeting. And he said that um, he owned great, Owning a stock is like it's owning a percentage of a great business. And so when, once I understood that concept, I understood that the key to wealth is through ownership. Like that's what that's that was one of the things that made it click because I studied the wealthy people. Like I studied them. Yeah. Um, and I was like, damn. Even when you go back to Black Wall Street, O.W. Gurley, the reason why he bought, he has the 40 acres and those acreages, one of the things he did was he said, I'm going to sell these pieces to my people so they can have ownership. I was like, damn. When you study Reginald White, one of the first black men to make a billion dollars on Wall Street, it was about he wanted it to have ownership. So I said, the key to building wealth is not how much you can work. You can't work your way to wealth. You got to invest your way there. And all wealthy people, black, white, Asian, Chinese, they own a whole bunch of shit. The people who aren't wealthy is because they don't own nothing. You only have your money sitting in cash. If your money is just sitting in cash, realistically, you're becoming poorer every day. Right. Or they own depreciating assets. And that's what cash is. It's a depreciating asset because the more money they print, the more money that money loses value. Right. So if it's just sitting, it's the reason why the bank wants you to have your money there. So they can take it and use it and invest <laughs> it so much and be like, hey, it's just sitting, I'm going to give you 50 cents on whatever you had in it. Right. And so the idea of ownership was, yo, we can just start owning everything that we, no matter if it's just a stock. Like that's powerful because if you can start owning the businesses that you now consume every day, you turn a one-time transaction to a lifetime of profit. And that was major for me because if I go to a store and buy a pair of Nikes, that's a one-time transaction. In order for me to get something from them again, I got to come back and buy another pair of Nikes. Mm. But if I own the Nike stock, long as I own it, it's a profitable um, vehicle for me. So that one-time transaction can become a lifetime of profit if I own that business. If I'm going to buy Apple, if I know I'm an Apple user, if I know I got the phone, I got the AirPods, I got the MacBook, I got the PC, I got I'm excited when Apple's about to drop something, why wouldn't I own it as much of it as I can, right? Like if I, if I understand that concept, if I know people going to, America has one of the biggest trash problems in the world. Right. So if I know that waste management is a company that's going to be here forever because we aren't going to stop throwing things away. Why don't I own that company? Because I know everybody throws things away. Mm-hmm. And so now instead of me getting excited about Apple Lime being around the corner because it's a new phone, I'm like, yo, y'all about to make me some money. <laughs> right. So when I hear a company like Waste Management has bought 40 acres of disposable land for another landfill, I'm excited about that. And another great thing about the stock market is 
for me, it now makes me pay attention to the world. And so now I understand what's going on in the world. I started learning business cycles, market cycles. You know what I'm saying? Like, because now I can understand, yo, this is okay. Things are going out of business. Okay, we're, we're in this cycle. Okay, people are hiring. Okay, we're in expansion cycle. And so now I started to take, I took an economic class on my own without just understanding the world. And so you start understanding when something is happening in China. Okay, something happening in China. So I own Apple. Apple is, has 20% of their revenue in China. Okay, they might take a little hit right now. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. the stock market helped me start understanding how the world moves, the fundamentals. Right. Right? And so that's important. I really hope people, no, no, no. I really hope people pay close attention to you because even in this interview, they're not going to understand how much you know. And I've listened to hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of <laughs> your footage. You, and I'm just like, fuck. So one thing I want to, I want to be on record mm-hmm. as saying, and you can play this on a loop on your fucking website, whatever, is that I can afford any money manager I want. Mm-hmm. And you are as knowledgeable as the money manager that I have. I'm very impressed with your ability to explain these concepts. And so that's important to me for a couple of reasons. One, there, there are certain people that are only going to listen to you. Mm-hmm. So it's great. So they now have access to, I'm telling you, world-class information. And then number two is the journey that you've been on. You started on the streets, were mm-hmm. homeless, in prison, like really caught up in the lifestyle. And through knowledge, you have transformed oh, your yeah. life and your family's life. And if they can believe that you can do it, they have what I call the only belief that matters. Mm-hmm. The only belief that matters is this. If you put time and energy into getting better at something, you will actually get better at that. Hell yeah. And that is true for every human. Now, why is that the only belief that matters? Because your behaviors follow your beliefs and only behaviors matter. Mm. So if you invest in the stock market, even if you don't believe in it, Mm -hmm. your investment could still go up. Mm -hmm. If you believe in the stock market and know it's the surest path to wealth, but don't invest in the stock market, you'll never reap the gains. Mm -hmm. So getting people to believe that they can get better because what you've done is just read and study and research and spend time watching cnbc and then you look like i heard you once explain oh i'll see a ticker symbol go by that i don't know it i don't sit there and waste time that i don't know it i just go look it up yeah and so now that's another ticker symbol and for anybody that just heard ticker symbols like what the fuck is a ticker symbol go look it up yeah right so you're such a powerful example of the power of knowledge. Mm. I think that's really, really interesting. So yeah, I, I, I hope that this is, for people that didn't know you before coming into this interview, hopefully they'll spend more time because they'll see just how much you know. Man, thank you for that. And that's, I understand that uh, knowledge is what gives us leverage in life. It's not about how strong you are. It's about what you can learn. And then how can you actively apply that? I have this acronym called FEAR, um, finally exiting average reality, right? And what happens is until we can overcome the fear, some people actually fear success. Mm. Success comes with a lot, right? But until you can overcome that average reality that you live in, no matter what you're on, once you become comfortable there, it becomes average. Anyone can live in average. Everyone can live in mediocrity, right? Then there's those outliers, who consistently push themselves to go to the next level. LeBron spends $1 million on his body, working out, eating right, agility, mobility, because he will never be average. Mm-hmm. 
And the thing about the human mind and the human body, it will go as far as you push it. Right. There is there's science that says that Gandhi levitated before the power of the mind. So you may look at it like, man, nobody can't levitate <laughs> out of your mind. But there's a level of meditation, concentration that you can lock into that can take you there as long as you believe in it. Like you said, the only belief that matters is what do you believe you can do? Mm-hmm. I personally believe that there is nothing I cannot do. And for me, it's all about impact, purpose, fulfillment. Like the money is a byproduct of everything else. That isn't my focus. My focus is I have a knowledge and information that I know that can change lives, not just one life, not just like lives. And so the way that you change lives is by consistently learning, finding new ways to put that information out there, being able to open up, being able to be vulnerable because people need to connect. Mm. People connect to knowledge in the way that they can see two things that help people, imagery and vocabulary, what they see and what they hear. Right. So most people won't connect to a certain knowledge because the people who speak it don't relate and two can't speak the knowledge in the way that they can eat it. Mm. So for me, it's always about how do I attain as much? It's always a challenge for me. How can I attain as much knowledge as I can? Because I love learning. Like I love learning. But then how do I take that and be able to now reciprocate it or give it to somebody who may not understand calculus or trigonometry? But if I can give it to them in this way, they can say, oh, yeah, I got it. And there's more people that struggled in the world that has become successful. So struggle has to become a language that I'm, I struggle. So that's the language I'm great at. So if I can break down things into a struggle language, now I make it the game winnable for everybody. And that's the goal, to make the game winnable for everybody who's bold enough to step into the batting cage. Mm. If you're bold enough to do that, I was bold enough to jump in a goddamn 152 <laughs> foot tank with sharks in Dubai. If you're bold enough to do it, there's an experience that comes from that. And that experience is so exhilarating, it will take you to the next level. Mm. Because now you keep chasing the next level of you. And that is when you start understanding life at a whole nother concept. When you start understanding that, yo, for the longest, I was just low level living. I was low level thinking. Now that I've been exposed to something, and I say this often, Whatever you haven't been exposed to isn't your fault. Once you get exposed to it, you now are accountable for it. And so once I've become exposed to so much knowledge and information, once I expose you to it, you accountable because now you can no longer say I didn't know. What do you say to people that don't think they have enough money to invest? (sighs) So the important thing for me to tell them is start where you are. You build a house brick by brick. I mean, of course, you can get a house put together all at once. (laughs) We live in that world. I get the idea. Right? But you build a mansion, you build an empire, you build it brick by brick. Like you start with $25. And we have to understand, think, uh, RIP to Nip, man, the great. He says something that's phenomenal. He said, we're on a marathon. We didn't get into our situation overnight. Right? If we look back at our situation, you see that was, you inherited that. Whatever it is, that poverty, you inherited that, that mindset, that idea of scarcity, that idea that you don't have enough money. You inherited that. Building wealth becomes a revolutionary act. Because now you start saying, I'm going to go against what I was taught. Right. And so I say by starting with twenty five dollars, if you can do twenty five dollars a month, that's cool. If you can do twenty five dollars a week, that's cool. Because what happens is once you start understanding the power of how your money works, you will start saying, yo, I don't need to do that. 
because that's taken away from this. Let me, that 25 will now become $50. Guaranteed. That 50 will now become 100 because you're going to start doing more with less. My focus is how do we now contribute to every person's family increasing their purchasing power, right? Interesting. Yeah, like I don't Tell me more about it. What do you mean? So you're not interested in focusing on the wealth gap. That's just nah. the wrong thing yeah, to I look at? Yeah, I think that's the wrong. So how can we, how can we, and, and so I'm always. Because it's about comparison? Why not focus on that? So, well, when you think about this, so you say, okay, the wealth gap is growing. Okay, well, when you look at it, if someone has, if, if someone has a 200 year, America as it was built, right? So the slaves now have to catch up to where the slave master was. If we're looking at it like that, like that's, it's hard. It's, it's a race you can never win. So if you're coming from poor, you're trying to close a, somebody, a group of people who had a 300-year head start on you. Like if you, even if you're looking at it like that, you can't win because you're coming at it from a defeatist, from a, a victim viewpoint. Man, they had four years head start on me. I can never catch up. No, that's not my thing. Like the wealthy people already know how to build wealth. They're going to keep on compounding their wealth. They're going to keep on making sure they make the right investments. They're going to keep on making sure they build businesses. They're going to keep on making sure that they're ahead of this curve. Okay, the, the economy is going to crash. Guess who's going to win more money than all in a recession? The wealthy people. Why? Because poor people are panicking right now. If we talked about inflation going up. Well, guess the, the average person in America spends more money on transportation, bills, and food. No matter who you are, those are the big three, right? Well, if you're poor, then now, because inflation is so high, that instead of eating up 50% of your paycheck, now it's eat up 75% of your paycheck, right? But if you're already in the upper echelon, you was going to do that anyway. It didn't matter because you still have investments. You still know how to maneuver in this type of market. So why waste time to me? Why waste time on saying, yo, how do we close the wealth gap? No, that's not my fight. My fight is how do we get the information that help us participate in the game? And the values. How do we get that? Yeah, I I see you pushing both, which I think is really, really interesting and super important, not closing the wealth gap. So it's interesting. I also think it's the wrong place to look. Mm -hmm. I won't deny. So when you look at right now, baby boomers have a lot of wealth. Yep in their bank accounts. There's about to be a huge transference of wealth. 26 trillion. Since since I was, how old was I? That's a a big number. That's a big big number. Uh, When I was 21, I received the last dime from my family that Mm. I ever received. And I graduated with college debt. And my dad literally did a countdown. I'm actually grateful to him for this. So he did a countdown. Five more months, four more months, three more months, mm. two more months. Every time you send my rent check. So basically he paid my rent through college and then that was it. And he wanted me to know the day you graduate, that's it. that's it. There's no more. And so when I think about, okay, after that, I got an education, mm-hmm. 100%, fair enough. But this is why my punchline is going to be, it's the information, yes. not the money. Always. So. I was literally broke. The scrounging in the couch cushions is actually a real story. At the time, I was so traumatized, but now it makes such a good story. I'm so glad that that actually happened. Um, imagine being so desperate, which I know you will not struggle with, being so <laughs> desperate to put gas in your car. You're like, maybe change has fallen out of people's pockets in the couch, mm-hmm. and I can get 75 cents or whatever to mm-hmm. put gas in my car. Crazy. 
Uh, and so I was super poor and then turned my life around. I should say I was broke. Mm-hmm. I was broke and then completely changed my financial situation with information. So I struggle a little bit with the idea of um, the, the wealth gap is increasing. What I would say is the compounding effect in any one life of knowledge and the, the knowledge that's driven from the values that you have. That's where this gets problematic mm-hmm. because any one person, maybe statistically, but any one person barring a big inheritance, which my parents are boomers and I will have, I have given my parents more money than they will ever be able to give me. Mm-hmm. So that certainly is not something that I'm going to reap any benefit from. But in my own lifetime, I was able to, you know, gazillion X my what, own return. What was that switch though? When I went from thinking of myself as a finite entity mm. that what you know is what you know. You're as smart as you're going to be. And so that's mm. that. To realizing that I could learn and get better. And so it's a little bit like imagine. So in, in poker, I forget the type of poker where you start. In fact, it's, it's just like, um, Texas Hold'em. So you're dealt two cards and then they're going to lay three cards down in front of you. Mm -hmm. That is life. Mm -hmm. So now you're like, okay. The river. A hundred percent. I've got something (laughs) and this, this may suck. What I'm holding my hands may suck, Mm -hmm. but how do I play it? Am I good at reading other people? Am I good at bluffing? Mm -hmm. Whatever. So some ability, some luck that a hundred percent is life. Mm -hmm. But according to the science, 50% 50% of who you are is hardwired. 50% is entirely malleable. I agree. And so it's, what are you doing to make use of the 50%? And so I just want people to obsess over that. Like you can get a hundred times better at anything. Mm-hmm. I'm never going to be better than LeBron James at basketball. Right. But I can be a hundred times better than I am today if I completely gave myself over to it and was like, I'm going to get good at that. 1% better every day. That's, that's literally my thing. Like how, I'm always, so this is a switch I had to make in business. So I had to, because I see, so we have this thing, like, because so many people have, has, have gained so much success um, during these last couple years. One of the things I did on Instagram was I unfollow everybody. I unfollow everybody because I started seeing how it was shifting my vision. Mm. I started seeing how I started comparing myself. I started seeing how like we was doing great things. I was we building the team up. Like I'm I'm stepping into the CEO mode. You know, I'm going out, I'm going to the different conferences, I'm going to the different masterminds, I'm getting the information, I'm applying it, and I'm seeing the 10x results. But then I'm saying, damn, I'm comparing myself to this person. Damn, what I just did, damn, this ain't enough. And so what I started, I just unfollow everybody and I said, I'm only following fitness people and TD Jakes. That's the only person I follow, right? Because fitness is important to me right now. And then TDJ, because I love to get that. I think he is the greatest speaker of our era, just he's for me. Amazing. I think he's the greatest speaker of our era, the way he can deliver a message. He's not just a pastor about God. He talks about life. He talks about business. And what I did, what happened to me in that moment was I was able to lock in on me. Because what happens is we can get comfortable. I always talk about this fear, finally exiting the average reality. I always talk about that because even if you amass so much success or you amass hitting different levels, 
after a time that becomes your average and you'll get comfortable there. And if you get comfortable there, you can only stay there for so long before you lose it all. Because comfort, nothing happens in a comfortable space but sleep. Sit. Once you get comfortable, you get tired. You get comfortable, you doze off. And so for me, it allowed me to gather all my information and apply it and then just build and then become better. And then I started looking at, again, looking at people like you, studying what you're doing as I build out this platform, studying people like you, studying what CNBC doing, studying people who are operating at a high level and saying what I know is nothing and being better than who I was yesterday. Like, how do I be better than a trap from yesterday? What did I do? And I do this every day now. I've been doing this for the last 90 days. At the end of my day, I analyze what I did in that day. How much did I do that helped me? What did I do that didn't tell me go nowhere? And then how do I get up the next day and attack full throttle? And then I came up with fail. Fear always interrupts legacy. Fail. Be willing to do it. Be willing to get past the fear because the fear interrupts the legacy that you're trying to build, that you're going after. And so if I'm going after legacy, I got to do more than be consistent. We talked about this earlier. I got to do more than be consistent. That is part of the equation. But in the consistency, how do I keep growing? How do I stay motivated? And what are those tweaks that I have to make along the way? I can't make those decisions. I'm always looking at everybody else. And so I've learned to be like, all right, this is how we operate. High octane, high level, 93. This is what we doing every day. And so now I'm not just being a great communicator, but building wealth for my family, mastering the markets. Like in my mind, I read a thing that Warren Buffett said, he reads 500 pages a day. That pisses me off because after about 30 pages, I go to sleep, right? I get tired. I'm like, how does he do it, right? So he's listening to audible books. So now that's the challenge because he's the apex investor, right? He's the apex investor to me. Like he is top of the food chain in what I'm loving to do. I love the stock market. So if he's apex and he does this, it shows that I have a lot of, I have a lot of stuff to grow toward, mm -hmm. right? Because he's 90 something years old and he's still learning. Again, we go back to information, right? He's accomplished something that most people would know. He's the richest man in the world at one point in his life, right? How that means at 40 years old, I have a whole bunch of learning to do. And so I become the learning machine. How can I read as many books as I can to become better? How can I can easily become comfortable with what I learn and invest in? Like I've, we've done great things. We've the mass. We've taught a lot of people. But how do we get better? And if we focus on getting better every day, the compound effect, how do I not only compound my wealth, but how do I compound the information? How do I compound my growth? Because who I am right now is a compound effect of what I was three, four, five years ago. And everybody needs to understand that. Who you are now is not because of the decision you made yesterday. These are compounded decisions that you've made that evolved in what you are right now. And so now I want to compound. What do I compound into into the future? How do I compound the best version of me in the next three years, five years? How I become the apex track? Mm. How do I do that? Like that's that's the goal. That's that's what we're shooting and aiming for. And then how do we impact as many people as we can? How do I go in every hood? How do I go in every ghetto? How do I go in every prison system and say, yep, I was homeless too, family. Yep, I got shot too, family. Yep, I went to prison for attempted murder on a robbery, family. Yep, but guess what I did? I learned how to play the market. It's the best game you can ever learn because it don't care what color you are. Mm. It don't care about none of the excuses. It don't care if you got three felonies. 
Don't care if you got two feelings. It don't care what you got. Can you play the game? And if you can play the game at a high level, the return on investment is infinite. And if we can play that like that, and if I can do that, and if I can keep being that, that person that people see and be like, yep, he did it. He relatable. So I, he talk about stocks, but he do it in a hoodie. He do it in a t-shirt. He do it with the sunglasses on. He talking in a way that we can understand it. Then I could do it too. And that's representation. That's me being the best version of myself. That's me showing that wealth is attainable one share at a time. Why? One becomes two. Two becomes four. Four shares become eight shares. Eight shares become 16 shares. People don't invest in the stock market because they don't feel like they got enough money. Mm. That's why my mantra is one share at a time. Right. And then and from that, it's, it becomes attainable. People, people don't want to go after wealth because they feel like it ain't fun. The belief system. We talked about the financial trauma. What are the beliefs that you anchor to that keep you from being moving forward? How do we cut those beliefs? How do we unanchor ourselves from the lack or the scarcity? How do we unanchor ourselves from that? When we got people in this world worth billions of dollars, that means the money is there. They got information. They got structure. Mm. They got community. Right? When I look at you, I look at your team, you got people around. You ain't just building this by yourself. And I'm pretty sure you thankful for them all the time. If you strive to perform your best in life, bringing your energy and abilities into everything you do, then it only makes sense that you would want to be out on the road with that same power, agility, and performance that everyone expects from you. And there's no better option than the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable SUV yet, the third-generation Range Rover Sport. You guys know I love staying on the cutting edge with technology, and the Range Rover Sport's cabin features advanced technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, a must, offering you and your family and friends new levels of comfort and refinement while traveling. The Range Rover Sport provides an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and redefines sporting luxury for the power, agility, and performance you demand in every area of your life. Explore the Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. More than you know. I'm becoming more and more obsessed with this. Yeah, yeah. So look, I've, I've built things in my life and so I know the power of people, but the longer I stay in the game, the Mm -hmm. more I'm just like, dude, you, the amount that you can do by yourself is amazing. It'll startle you. Right. But as you get into real scale, you realize, wow, the amount I can do by myself is really paltry compared to what I really want to do. And it, it really does come down to people. Like, how awesome are your people? And this is the hard part, man. I love to see people succeed. Mm-hmm. But the problem is that leaves me open to creating space for B and C players yep. to make me feel like they're yep. going to make it. They're going to change. Yep. And then I'm, I'm fatiguing myself yes. by carrying them. And that's hard. That's hard. Because it's like, damn, you don't want people acting out of fear. You don't want them being, um, you know, thinking that you want them to know that you care about them, Mm -hmm. right? People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm -hmm. Word. Okay, I subscribe to that. But let me tell you, there's an advanced class to that. Mm. And people don't perform until they know that there's fucking standards. And those Mm -hmm. standards are going to be met. Culture. 
values, what you celebrate. It's it's like a that. tricky line to walk, man. I it's like a that. real tricky line to walk. Because I want one, I attract people that have seen the content. So some ungodly number of our team here saw the content first, came on board. So they they saw me as a, a beacon of hope and then they get in and I'm like, yo, we're fucking warriors here. We yeah. don't play around. Yeah. And so, ah, man, it's uh it's so important to make sure the people around you adhere to a standard. It's important to give them a chance to grow and get better. You gotta have a standard, man. That's a fine line. Standard, it is. It's it's hard. Like even now at this stage of my career, you'd think I like have this down pat. It's hard. Yeah, because I, I I know as I'm building, you know, just on my journey. I think again, I'm never comfortable, right? Because I always, again, when I see you, I'm like, yep, he he's still going. And I study the game, and I think everybody should study the game that they play. Mm. Right, study the people. Even I tell people this in Wall Street, like study the game, study the rules, and study the plays. Right? What I mean by that, study the game. What is the broad goal of the game? What is the goal? What is the ramifications? That's it. Then study the players. Who's playing at a high level in the game that in the field that you're going? Because that's gonna be what you're looking at. Mm. You can see their strengths, you can see their weaknesses, and then what plays do they love to run? Right? Like every team, when you think about the Lakers, you go. Like, you're the head coach for Impact Theory. You know what I'm saying? And then your team, everybody has strong suits. So when I look at, when you look at the Lakers under Phil Jackson, triangle offense, mastered it, right? When you study Bill Belichick, he did what's called, um, uh, damn, I forgot what it's called, but like, he didn't run plays. They ran plays based on whatever, wherever they were on the field and how much time was on the clock. Mm. That's how he called plays. And so you look at the players in the game, what are their strong points? So when I look, I'm looking at, okay, bam, damn, Tom doing a million views. All right, like, what is the sauce that he's doing? What is it that they're learning? What is it that he, how is he impacting people? I'm always looking, when I'm looking at investments, what, what is Warren Buffett really good at? What is Joel Greenback really good at? What is Peter Lynch really good at? So I can study it. And then I want to study everything they told me when they messed up, the mistakes they made. Like, that's how you get better. This is why football players and athletes get better because they study film. We want to become successful investors. We want to build wealth, but we don't want to study the film. Mm-hmm. We want to freestyle our way to wealth. I'm going to put $100 right here. It's going to make me a million dollars. Nope, that ain't going to happen, fam. I can guarantee you that ain't going to happen. Right? But how do I study the film? How did you compound to success? Mm-hmm. Right? It wasn't one thing. How did that 10 years turn into overnight success? Because that's what people don't know. You see the successful Wall Street travel, but what happened when I was homeless? Like real homeless, not just oh, I moved out of my mama's house because no homeless because you don't got nowhere to go because my mama went to prison and because my family members at the time, they had their own thing going on. So I had nowhere to go. What did I do when I was sleeping in an abandoned house? What did I do when I was sleeping in a corner in that crack house where everybody's smoking crack out of Coke cans, out of crack pipes? I'm in a back room. Like, what did I do in those moments? Right. What did I do when I was sleeping in an abandoned house? What did I do when I was sleeping in an abandoned cause? What did I do in those moments? Those are moments you don't see, but those are the moments of when I'm figuring out, damn, where do I go with my business and I'm stuck? Those are the moments that give birth. Boom, here we go. What do we do then? We never gave up, mm-hmm. right? And so being able to use those dark moments in your life as a moment of empowerment instead of victimizing yourself. How long will you hold on to the victim mentality? And most people are so great at that. Most people are so great at holding on to the victim aspect of anything. When it comes to building wealth, you can put it up right. I put up a clip on my Instagram the other day where um, 
God was saying that, um, you know, white white Americans are successful in America, not because of anything other than they know how to maneuver during certain economic um, environments, politics, um, recessions. They, they understand. And I was like, and so many people in my post was like, well, let's not forget about slavery. Let, you'll never become successful if you hold on to that. Mm. Yep, that did happen. But are you going to hold on to that for 400 more years? Are you? Because if you are, stay there. But if you can say, hmm, how can I learn? How can I learn from something that maybe the people before me didn't learn from? Where is the gap? Where is the, where, what did they didn't, what didn't they get? Hmm. When I look at civil rights leaders, like every generation has to transform into something else. I was civil rights leader. When you look at Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, Fred Hampton, two of my favorite black men of all time, they didn't even have time to get into the money component because they fought about civil rights. Right. And so now when you evolve, we, those leaders no longer exist. No, there's no leadership. And so now everyone is trying to freestyle their way to success, freestyle their way to freedom. And all they have to look at is the past. Damn, slavery. We can't keep going back there. Right. We can acknowledge it. We can get history and culture from it, but we can't anchor ourselves to it. We cannot. I can't anchor myself to the fact that my mama did drugs, my mama sold drugs. I can't let that be a reason why I don't be successful. Mm. Yep, it's painful. Yep, I went through it. Like, imagine what it looks like to see your mom get shot in front of you. That is a painful, traumatic experience, right? And then to come back of maybe five, six years later, and you see your mama overdose on drugs. She didn't die. That's another painful, traumatic experience that I can anchor my life to that. And then we can add on to the fact that I felt abandoned, right? That nobody was there for me. Mm, I can hold on to that. I got all the right to hold on to it, right? I got another. I never saw my father before. I don't know my father. Boom, let's hold on to that too, mm. right? And so now I'm anchoring myself to all of these traumatic experiences, and now I'm giving myself an excuse not to be shit. I never had a father, so I'm, a, I'm, I'm not going to be a good father to this beautiful little girl I gave birth to. I can, I can hold all of those traumatic experiences in a ball and let that be my core. Instead, I cut that and release that shit and say, you know what? Because I didn't have a father, I'm going to be an amazing father. Because I saw my mama do drugs. I saw, I saw my mama sell drugs. That was her traumatic experience. I went through some of it, but guess what? I'm going to be better than that. And I'm going to show my mama a better life. I'm going to show her that I appreciate everything she went through. But here's a better life. Right. Because my people went through whatever they went through. I'm the reason to say I want all of my ancestors. My, I want them to be proud and say, you know what? That's it right there. He stood on integrity. He stood on it. He was honest. He built a different type of culture, not just his family, but for the people around him. Somebody got to be the pioneer. Somebody got to be the trailblazer. Somebody got to be willing to take the risk to change. So that's what I represent. That's what I won't stand for. And I won't do it my way. I won't do it my way, man. You know, I love my kid, whatever. But they're really struggling in life. How can I help them? Mm -hmm. And my answer is usually you can't. And then the mm -hmm. person's like, no, you don't understand. Like, I love them so much. They're my kid. Like, I can't give up. And I'm like, okay, for real, for real? You want to know how you're going to change their life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me. Okay, cool. Uh, you're going to have to kidnap them. You're gonna, but Trap, and I actually mean this seriously. Right. This would work. Right. It's the only thing I know that would work. Talk to me. You're going to kidnap them. 
You're going to take him to a remote place in the fucking desert, whatever. You're going to take him somewhere away from everybody else. I usually say a deserted island. Mm-hmm. You can take him to a deserted island. But on that deserted island must be a group of people that they respect. Mm. If you are around people you respect, yes. you will want to win their respect. Yes. To win their respect, you must conform to their behaviors. If their behaviors are honorable, you're now conforming to earn their respect to honorable behaviors. Mm-hmm. And now you get mm-hmm. where somebody will turn their life around to fit in. Now they can turn their life around to fit in and go in the wrong direction, mm-hmm. which is how you get influenced on the streets, mm-hmm. or you can get influenced in the exact opposite direction. So you have to be careful about who you emulate. Come on. But I like that. Before you go, I like Please. that because that's even, not even in, with kids, but even as adults, that's what I had to do. Yeah. Like I had to get around a different set of people who helped me evolve. Because even in that, where you're being influenced, you don't evolve in that space, right? You adapt and you conform to whatever that environment is. And so if you get around, that's why the old saying, if you're around five, six millionaires, you become the sixth one. It's because you start to take on those uh, values. You start taking on those principles that they stand on, right? Those conversations become like impregnated in you. Those behaviors like, damn, Tom gets up in the morning. He does this. He does that. Damn, I need to do that. Trap does this. Trap does that. Damn, I need to do that. This is why I love mentorships. This is why I love masterminds. This is why I do that. I asked you one time, hey, yo, I, give me a mastermind I can get into. It's because when I'm around successful people, I'm going to go into the room. I don't care how much success I've amassed. I'm going into the room like I don't know nothing because that's what I want to evolve to. So that is you're not pushing a line. You're only touching a hot stove to people who are fighting for beliefs that don't benefit them. God damn. <laughs> most people fight for those beliefs dude it's, yes they do it's really interesting to me so okay i've thought a lot about this because i spent a portion of my life fighting for beliefs that didn't serve me and mm-hmm. i really so i and i don't know if this is a useful story to tell myself but it makes me chuckle and it feels way too close to the truth i'm just dumb enough that I have to learn everything the hard way. Mm. And I'm just smart enough to be able to figure it out. Mm. So I actually do learn, and then I can articulate it to people because I'm like, oh yeah, this is what I tripped on, tripped up on. So for a long time, I had a set of beliefs that were really stupid, meaning that they moved me, they actually moved me away from my stated goal. They were moving me towards a silent goal. I know you journal. Mm-hmm. I highly encourage people to journal so mm-hmm. you can figure out like mm-hmm. what are the subconscious mm-hmm. things that are driving you. But I, what I wanted out of life subconsciously was to feel smart. Mm. And I valued, I had a certain idea of what intelligence was and everything that lined up with things that made me feel that I was intelligent in the way that I subconsciously defined it, I kept doing. So I ended up in smaller and smaller rooms. So after graduating college, I was working retail in a game store selling video games and like not minimum wage, but like not, not a long way from it. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, why am I doing this? Mm. And I'm doing it because the boss of the place is like, why do you work here? He's like, you're too smart for this. Mm. And I was like, that makes me feel good. Now, of course I wasn't thinking that in my head. It just made me feel good. And Mm -hmm. so I kept doing it. And I realized looking back, okay, what I do is I structure my life so that people tell me I'm smart. Mm -hmm. And 
that is super dangerous mm. because it's led me into these really small rooms. Mm-hmm. And so things didn't turn around until I was like, oh, wait a second. I don't read a book so someone will tell me I'm smart. I read a book so I can get better at something. And I really want people to understand that skills have utility. Mm. They let you do something. Mm. So if you get, a, get good at investing, you can make a lot of money. Yes. If you get good at architecture, you can build buildings. You can build a bridge that people can drive cars across. Do you know how crazy that is? You can be the next Elon Musk, whatever. And understanding, oh, wait a second. I don't need to be smart. I need to be good at learning. Oh, yes. And that, that changed my life. But that becomes a value system. What do I value in myself? Do I value being smart? Or worse, do I value people telling me I'm smart? Because what if I was smart, but everybody was telling me I was dumb? I would have done different things back then just so that people would tell me I was smart because I didn't believe it myself. And my value system was people that have this kind of intelligence, kind of the way that people fetishize money, I fetishized being smart. Mm. And so it was like, I just want to be smart like that. That'd be so cool. And once I realized, oh, that's a value system. I can change my value system and now pursue something else and get all of the sort of neurochemical rewards and feel good and be excited about being the learner. Mm. And so then once I started doing that, then I actually started getting good because I was just obsessed with learning, setting my ego aside, walking in like I know nothing and just saying, oh my God, like make me better. Now, the reason that I got so obsessed with that was because I realized they actually can make me better and then I can go do something somebody else can't do and I can get ahead in life and I can get wealthy and I can build what I want to build, and I can control my time, and I can impress people Mm. if that's a thing. And so it's like, whoa, this is all about skills. Mm -hmm. But skills are controlled by values. Mm -hmm. So I I, I love that because in setting yourself up for success and setting yourself, I say you have to be intentional about something, Mm. right? And so for me, the intentionality was, what do I have to learn that takes me away from that. Like, what do I have to learn so I don't go back to prison? What do I have to learn so that I don't become dead before the certain age? Mm. And then I, I got past that. And then I was like, what do I have to learn to become a great father? Like right now I'm learning how to be a father, right? How to be a great father. We talked about journaling. One of the things I tell my daughter right now is, okay, write down how you feel. And then we can talk about that, right? It's easier for her to do it that way than sometimes having that conversation with me. So write it down and then we can talk about it. Well, those values now help me keep evolving because if I want to be the best version of who I am, if I want to be the most impactful person, then I have to install in me a certain set of values, integrity, right? Honesty, the commitment to being better. Why those? Well, because where I come from. Why honesty? You could lie, 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 lie. If you, Honesty is so important because if you tell people the truth and if you are committed to um, understanding other people's truth, then people have no people don't like the truth because how it makes them feel. But if you tell the truth, they have no no other option but to face it. Right. They have no other option but to say, damn, OK, it's, a, it's truth is like a harsh reality that everybody wants, but nobody wants to give. Right. But honesty comes in as saying, you know what? That's a value system that so many people don't have. 
And for me, if I can be honest, then my name can go a long way. If I can be honest, then my my uh, presence will precede me. Right. So honesty is something that that people often don't want to do. They'll say something like I lie to you because I love you. You know, uh, I don't tell you the truth because I don't want to hurt you. Right. Well, if you're honest to me, then I can make that decision. If you're being honest, I can make that decision on whether I want to move forward or not. If I'm honest with you, then I know I can do business with this man because he's an honest man. I can do business with this woman because she's an honest woman because I know there's no uh, back end stuff. There's nothing they're trying to do behind my back. Honesty is something that's so underrated. But for me, even in the streets, like honesty is so not there because everyone wants the edge. Everyone, everyone wants murder is not off the table. You know what I'm saying? It's not off the table. Most people in the street get killed by somebody they know. You know what I'm saying? That's and rough. You feel me? And so that honesty part is not there. Yeah. So for me, it's, it's, it's heavy on my list of just being an honest man, man. One thing about honesty that I find incredible is, so you said you can do business with somebody that's honest. Mm-hmm. That's where I think people really get why honesty is so critical. Mm-hmm. If I, so a relationship to work well, to be a high-functioning, business-friendly relationship, Mm -hmm. I need uh, a sort of deposit and withdrawal Mm. system. Mm. So no, you should never do it for the deposit withdrawal, but there is a reality to be faced in human relationships. If all you do is give, 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 and the person never reciprocates, it just, humans are not wired for Mm -hmm. that. And Mm -hmm. so it, it won't work. The relationship will go your separate ways. But if when I make a deposit, I'm like, I'm going to be able to make a withdrawal here at some point. In fact, Trap, you know where I think this comes from? This is fucking interesting. When I heard Mm. this laid out, I was like, oh my God. Think from an evolutionary standpoint. Mm -hmm. There's no refrigerator. Do you know how you store calories? Talk to me. So let's say that you take down a a buffalo. Okay. You you can't eat it. Even if you said, ah, everybody back off. This is my buffalo. Get away from my buffalo. I will kill you and your whole family if you touch my buffalo. Mm-hmm. You can eat it as much as you can, literally until another bite and the lining of your stomach will tear, okay? Mm-hmm. You're stuffing your face. It will go, it will rot before you can finish eating it. Mm-hmm. So now you have this dilemma. Even if I want to be selfish, I can't eat the whole thing. But if I let other people eat it, I don't get anything out of that. But you do. Because by feeding them, you're now storing calories in them. Mm -hmm. They're eating, they're full, they've got fat. Mm -hmm. Well, what happens when you don't kill the buffalo, but they do? Mm -hmm. Now they're like, my brother, please come Mm -hmm. to my table and eat. So it all, that, I'm going to say that again. You can store calories in another human being by feeding them when you have an abundance. I like that. They get to eat and now they will do the same for you. I like that. That's honesty. Mm -hmm. It builds trust Mm -hmm. that word if i feed you you're gonna feed me next time mm-hmm. and so this is where you get into reciprocal altruism mm-hmm. where yes you're doing something nice but it just comes back to you and people are i think they they feel icky when they say part of why i do this is to make sure that i'm taken care of but that's awesome that's how people cooperate as a as a group mm-hmm. that it's give and take always so honestly i think the reason so many people gravitate towards it is when I can trust you, one, evolution has made that feel good. So it just feels amazing. 
I've told, I tell people in the company all the time, it really hurts to tell somebody something hard. It really, mm. I don't like saying it and I know you don't like hearing it. Mm. But if I tell you the hard things, you know you can trust me yep. because you know exactly my mental map of who you are. Mm -hmm. And so now there's no like unease about what's what. And so I know if you're quiet, it means you have nothing to say mm -hmm. versus to your point, murder's not off the table. It's like, well, is this going somewhere bad? So you can do business with somebody when I know if I make a deposit today that I'll be able to get a withdrawal later at some point. Huge. Okay, so honesty, integrity mm -hmm. was the other one. One, how do you define integrity? Doing a, this is the one thing I tell my daughter, doing the right thing when nobody's looking. Mm. If I'm willing to do the right thing, if I can do the right, time is my guy. So I'll give you an example. So a couple of friends of mine had a huge event that they put on and somebody hit me up and was like, yo, I would like to be a part of that event. Big person. And I was, um, they, they thought it was my event. And I was like, yo, that's not my event. I'll put you in contact with who that event is for. That's integrity because I could have kept that to myself, mm. try to do something in the middle, try to make some money off it, be the middle man. I didn't know. Look, this is my guys here. Here's the information. Y'all do that. Don't put me in the email no more. Handle y'all business. Integrity. Integrity is me being able to do something without me even expecting something on the back end, but on the strength that I know Tom is a good guy. Mm. Hey, Tom. Here's my people, man. Here's an alley-oop, yo. I don't need nothing from it. That's integrity. We talked about business earlier, and I'm sure we'll get to it, but we, we talked about the human capital part. I mean, the capital part that people need in, in building a successful business. The next thing next to building a successful business that's more important to me than money is building integrable relationships. Building relationships with other successful people or building relationships with people that's based off integrity can help your business get to another level because some rooms you can't get in with money. Some rooms you can only get in based on who you know. Mm -hmm. There's some rooms I can only get in because time says trap is my guy. There's some rooms that, that I don't care how much money you got. That's not the value system here. The value system to get in this room is based on the people in here do good business. The people in here are integrable. This is the room you need to be in. Money can't get you here because everybody here got money. Mm. What do you do when money is no longer the option? You're going to be based on what? Integrity and honesty, truthfulness. Those are the things you can be based on. And so even in business, integrity and honesty is important. Massively. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, this again goes back to culture rides in the back of values what mm. do we think is good what do we think is right and when i look at you so it's interesting for people that haven't seen your show come on man trap it tuesdays come on man <laughs> uh watching it was really interesting because you you're attacking it from the point of value so you'll talk about your family you talk about your daughter i heard you tell mm -hmm. the story about your daughter and there was friction at school and how mm -hmm. you helped her through it and you're like like i know i haven't talked about stocks yet and i was like you haven't, but this is why your show is doing well because mm -hmm. getting the value system right, understanding how to think, knowing how to sort of move becomes really important. And so that idea of that, A, culture is malleable, that you mm -hmm. can create a new culture. Mm -hmm. um, being a part of your group will have its own culture, mm -hmm. right? Same with impact theory. It's like there's a culture. There's a culture to being an employee. There's a culture to being in the impact theory university. Mm -hmm. And when you think about you've got your your frame of reference mm -hmm. is being built around all of these things. 
It's the funhouse mirror that we all see life through. Mm-hmm. There's a guy named Donald Hoffman mm-hmm. who says, everything that you experience is real life. The only thing I can tell you is it isn't true mm. at all. And so we were sitting at this very table when he explained to me, Tom, when you see the surface of this table, what's true about the surface of this table is its mass, the number of photons that are reflecting off of it, all that. If you try to live life by going, oh, that has a mass of this, and there's this many photons bouncing off in this part of the light spectrum, he's like, you you can't get anywhere. Way better to go, this is a table, and it's sort of gray. And he's like, that's what humans have evolved to do. But that actually isn't the underlying reality. Okay, so your brain is creating a wild simplification mm-hmm. of the truth. And this is my favorite example that he uses. And I am going to answer the question about reading. Right, right, right. Uh, but the example that he uses is, is, let's say that you're in a VR game of uh, Grand Theft Auto. Mm-hmm. You think, oh, when I turn the steering wheel in the game, the car goes left if I turn left, the car goes right if I turn right. He said, what's really happening is electrical volts are toggling back and forth a trillion times a second or whatever inside of your PlayStation. But if you had to go toggle the individual voltages to get the image, the pixels on the screen to move in a certain way mm-hmm. that it looks like a car uh, going left, he was like, you'll never be able to play. So you need the just ridiculous level of simplification in order to play the game. Mm-hmm. That's life. That's your frame of reference. Mm-hmm. But it is so abstracted mm-hmm. from the reality mm-hmm. that, so uh, I'll put it into my terms. I grew up lower middle class in almost rural Tacoma. So mm-hmm. I didn't have cows, but my neighbors did Yeah, to, to give you an idea. <laughs> Uh, and I was taught to be a good employee, mm-hmm. to keep my head down, do as little work as possible and avoid punishment at all costs. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's all about make as much money as fast as you can, you know, uh, trading time for money. Like they wouldn't have even known to say, don't trade that you are trading time for money. That's just the only way they knew how to make money. Mm-hmm. So that was my frame of reference. Part of it. The other part was, Ooh, I feel good when people tell me that I'm smart, but I don't realize that. So this is the distortion that my brain is creating over time. And I don't realize that these are things that I've chosen to believe, that they aren't accurate representation of the way that the world really works. And that I can get so good that people can't ignore me, that even if I am uneducated today, that doesn't mean I have to be uneducated tomorrow, that even if I'm frustrated that I'm not as intelligent as I would like to be, which I'm not, by the way, but I can get a 100 times better at anything, which anybody can. So... My frame of reference began to shift from I'm stuck in this brain and body that I'm not very impressed with to, oh, actually, you can grow and get better. That change in frame of reference took me from scrounging in my couch cushions to find enough change to put gas in my car to building and selling a billion-dollar business. Come on, man. So ideas, frame of reference. So I now see the world through a different funhouse mirror. It still isn't objective reality, but it's really useful. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you've got this frame of reference. Critically important to understand. All right, so because I know frame of reference is so important, I'm constantly trying to get new information to alter my frame of reference. However useful my frame of reference has become, I have not reached an end state, mm-hmm. right? So you can constantly rewarp that glass to show you the world in a way that's more effective. That's the easiest way to think about it. So effective as defined, I have a goal, 
Is my behavior, my beliefs, and my values moving me towards that goal? Yes or no? If yes, you are operating in a way that is more true or accurate, mm-hmm. right? You, you can predict the outcome of your behaviors. That to me is truth. Mm-hmm. We could really derail on that. I won't for now. Uh, so, all right. So my, I'm trying to shape my frame of reference so that the way that I think and act moves me more efficiently towards my goals. Mm. You get what you celebrate. I think about this a lot as a CEO. Mm, that's good. Dude, you get what you celebrate. That's good. And so if you celebrate being a badass, this is the same with inner city, same with being in prison. It's like you get all these different cultures mm-hmm. and you're going to get what you celebrate. Oh God, I'm going to keep derailing. Have you read Up From Slavery? No, I have not. Booker T. Washington. I have not. Controversial figure. I like it. I can't figure out why, but that book, he was born a slave and he was like, there's a way out of this. I can get so good people can't stop me. Becomes the punchline. But he starts a college. Trap, he was born a slave. Mm-hmm. He starts a college mm-hmm. that's still running today. Let that sit in right quick. Uh-huh. Right. When I think about will impact theory university, outlive me but not as of yet. Mm-hmm. Insane. How does he do it? Culture. Do you know that he made the students in his university? The students in his university had to learn, drum roll, please, brick making. Mm. They had to learn how to make bricks trap. Why? So that they could build the buildings Mm. so that they would have respect for the knowledge. Because he was like, if they just roll up and this is all easy. And he was like, people would show up outraged, outraged. You're going to, I was a slave. I'm sending my kids to your university and you're making them build build bricks. Like what? And he was like, I'm telling you right now, if people build this stuff themselves, the level of respect that they will have for the hall, the way they will hold each other accountable. And mm-hmm. I was like, forget what the culture was, because it's different now, and of course it's going to change. Structure. Certain somebody said that at the beginning of this episode. Structure. There are things that we do here, and there are things that we don't do here. He instilled a value system that allowed them to say, because values tell you who's in and who's out. Oh, you made the bricks? And by the way, they, they became known in like that region of the South for making the highest quality bricks. So now they can sell bricks to fund the school. Dude, it was so insane. I'm reading the book and I'm like, this is fucking genius. Mm-hmm. Values. Creates a culture. You reinforce the culture by what you celebrate and what you tolerate. Mm-hmm. That culture becomes so profound that you can defeat nations. So going back to the slave rebellion in Haiti, I need to memorize this guy's name. Forgive me, I'm in the middle of reading this book. I got I'm it. literally just I, encountering these I know these it, ideas. but I don't want to pronounce it wrong and I don't want to be disrespectful. No, please, please, here. please. No, 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 no. I'm just, even as people, um, I, I don't want to say it wrong. Um, I, I, I remember because I went to D.C., so I don't want to say it wrong. Um, say it as wrong as possible. I can't uh, even remember. It's kind of French sounding, yeah, if it's I a remember. French, it's a French name. Uh, I don't want to say it wrong. Uh I'm not going to say it wrong. All right. Fair enough. Let me say this, though. Please. We were talking about, you were talking about, watch this, the bricks, the people who build the bricks for the college. They'd appreciate it more. The exact same thing goes with building wealth. The person who builds the wealth in the beginning, I use myself as an example. 
I become the pioneer. I become the trailblazer. I become the person who says that my family will eat for a lifetime based on the decisions that I make today, based on the information that I've gained and applied. Because I'm the one in the beginning stage building it, I will respect the wealth more. If I don't install those values in my daughter, if I don't install in her the respect for money, if I don't install it in her why investing is important, then what happens is she inherits a lot of money, but don't know what to do with it. And so now she may live well, but the generations behind her don't benefit from it because they never had an attachment to the money. They never had an attachment to the wealth. They just got the wealth. They obtained it. And so when I think about Cornelius Vanderbilt, we never talk about him in the pioneers of America, the richest men in the world. We never talk about him. Why? Because after he died, his son did enjoy the money, but no generation after that did because they went broke. T-shirt to T-shirt in three generations. They went broke. But we still talk about J.P. Morgan. We still talk about the Rockefeller. We still talk about the Rothschild. We still talk about Sam Walton, who has five of his grandchildren and kids on the Fortune 500 list. Always. Why? Because there was a culture there. And the culture was about building that Walmart brand. But then what we don't realize about passing wealth down is it's not just about passing money down. It's about passing down information. It's about passing down bylaws. It's about passing down structure. It's about, I just, so I just lost my great aunt. Mm. Um, and I talked about her on my last show. I, I just lost, and she was the matriarch to my family, right? She was the matriarch. She held it together. And 11 months before that, we lost her sister, right? So those were, they were the last two. And I honored them. They did so much for me on my journey. Um, And now that both of them have now gone, our family now has to be restructured. We have to now install new traditions, not saying the old ones weren't well, but for instance, we were all good at her house for Thanksgiving, right? We were all, everything, she put things in place. So now that whole entire generation is gone. So the generation that's available now is my mother's generation. So it's my mother, her brothers, and then I'm the next generation, and then my kids, so on and so forth. So now we have to do now is we have to now put new values in place. We have to put new traditions in place. We have to put a new structure in place. And because I now have the financial literacy now, I'm talking to my uncle the other day, he like trap. Like, yep, I'm the leader, but you're up next. And that meant a lot to me. Mm. And in a minute, I got scared because I thought about, yep, I teach people about financial literacy all the time. I talk about being a CEO of my family. I talk about turning my family's last name into an asset. But now I am now because once you, I always say this, once you get the information, you are not responsible. Like, it's okay. It's not okay, but I'm saying it's using this figuratively. It's okay that, I mean, literally, it's okay, you know, when you're blowing money because you don't know no better, right? But once you become cognizant and once you have the information, now you are held accountable. And so for me, 
now more than ever, I am held accountable. One, because I went from homeless to being where I am now. Right. Nobody else in my family went through that. I went from not just once, but twice. To building a business, to learning how to invest, to giving my daughter a custodial account who I'll she'll be a millionaire before she's 15. Right. Damn. Yeah, these things are so important to me. So now we set new rules. We set new rules of engagement. What are those rules of engagement? Okay, so now everybody, my, my little cousin just had a, a little boy. I said, bro, we got to open up a custodial account now. Mm. Like now. He's a couple weeks old. We got to open a custodial account up now. Well, why do I got to do that? Cause, because if we start investing now, we can now increase him being a millionaire, but also we can start implementing and impregnating him with certain things. Right, we can start talking about money once he gets two years old. Like my daughter, she's six. Her ABCs for me come in the form of A is for asset, B is for bank, <laughs> C is for credit, and that is, is for genius. Right, this how the ABCs come. To Does her. she know the word fiduciary? She know what it means, dude. That's incredible. Right, so that's how the ABCs are now talk to her. E is for equity. Like this, how we uh, now you got to give me a okay. So what does it mean now? Not just a norm, but what does it mean now? Right, and so now when we go to Disney World, you. you you know you own stock in this, right? When I bought for her birthday, she made six. I said, what do you want, babe? She's like, I want to buy some Roblox stock, right? So normally for me, it's breaking down the business, going through my whole process. But for her, it was like, let her get the exposure to it. So, yep, let's buy the Roblox stocks. How many shares you want? She said, I want 16. And then when I pulled it up on my phone, she said, no, I want 100. Cool. We bought 100 shares for her birthday. It don't matter that the stock is down right now. Because it was her identifying that mm. instead of getting me this, this is what I want. So now for me, it's that my great aunt is gone. This now has to be a she's transition. This now has to be the value system that we stand on. So everybody that has a kid, as soon as you have a kid, we open up a custodial account. But then we're going to double down with it and say when that person has a kid and open a custodial account, everybody now is responsible of putting the first $50 to it, mm. right? So now we implementing new rules. We implementing things now that every family member now has to take on, right? And now everybody embraces it. And so changing that dynamic of my family, implementing new rules, becoming the leader. If we look at a lot of people's family, no one has a real leadership in their family. But when we look at successful families, there's leadership there. Mm. I don't care how much we don't like the Kardashians or whatever, how you feel about them. That mother leads that tribe, right? And then if we look at it, okay, she leads that. We look at the Waltons. Somebody leads that tribe, right? We look at every rich family. And then after the leader is gone, someone is groomed to step up and take place. So the family structure doesn't fall. The Vanderbilts didn't have that. And so now their family is never talked about, right? So for me, it's how do, you know, just with my family, how do I now implement those rules because I am now the leader. And the most the most scariest thing anyone can do ever coming from lower class, middle class poverty is the, the most important financial decision you'll ever make is how much of your money that you make from your paycheck you're going to get to work for you. It's the most important decision you ever make financially. Because if you never know how much money from your paycheck that you worked hard for that is going to work for you, then you're always going to have to work for every paycheck. And if you got to always work for every piece of income that you have physically put in that labor, you have a cap on what you can make. Mm. That's just the truth of the matter. 
And so, you know, just changing that when you just gave that Booker T. Washington scenario, that's what just jumped in my mind of you. The family members don't appreciate the wealth if they didn't contribute to building it. So now how do we set a culture that makes everyone contribute to building the wealth of the family? I, for me, I don't want to focus on closing the wealth gap. I'm not. That's not my focus. 